Hello and welcome to episode 109 of the So Video Games podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we will be talking about it. Today we are recording on December 9th, 2018. My name is Corey Motley. I am a staff writer at GameCritics.com, which is actually true again, because my Hitman 2 review is live on Game Critics. If you haven't read it, go read it. It's the first thing I've written for Game Critics in like 100 years. Um, I'm My name's Corey Motley. I'm half the show. Uh, the other fellow that you hear laughing in the background at my bad jokes is Brad Galloway. He is the editor who has been editing my Hitman review that's live on GameCritics.com, so go read it if you haven't already. Uh, and yeah, he's the other half of the show. How are you, Brad? I am doing good. A couple things. This is the earliest we've ever recorded in the morning, and I think we're doing mm. surprisingly well. Yeah. Considering considering that I think both of us at heart are probably night owls, would you say that's fair? That is, uh, if you have never spoken a truer statement on the show before. All right, all right. And the other thing is, I want you to know, Corey, I actually didn't mention this to you, and I don't know that I've ever said this out loud, but like you have joined a very select group in game critics because there are very few people that I ever let any, uh, write a review over a thousand words. And as you know, <laughs> your, your extensive deep dive and uh, copious thoughts on Hitman two were, were well over a thousand words. And I'm like, you know, the only person I really let get away with that is Dan because Dan is brilliant. Dan is a brilliant guy. He's an extremely capable guy, but every once in a while he will just like, He'll go off, and he will get really excited about something, and I all I can do is let him run with it, because he just gets inspired, and you can't contain that kind of genius when he gets going, and I'm like, whatever. And he, I mean, he wrote, like, I think, like, 37,000 words about um, Deadly Premonition or some shit like that. Like, it was, like, it was more words than I have ever read in my life. I'm like, he wrote, like, the Encyclopedia Britannica of Deadly Premonition. I mean, so, like, so I let Dan get away with it because Dan is Dan, and he's earned it because he is basically one of the backbones of game critics. So, like... You sent in your review, and I'm like, oh, my God, this review is like, I can't even, oh, my Jesus. And I started reading it. I'm like, you know, Corey's, Corey's real busy with the podcast. Clearly, he was inspired on this Hitman piece. I'm reading the piece, and I'm, I'm nodding my head to all the points you're making. I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. This is all good. I'm like, all right, all right, all right. I'll give Corey the green light. I mean, my first tendency was to chop it in half, and I'm like, but nah, I, I would feel bad if I did that because you clearly had some feelings on it, so... Welcome, sir, to the uh, to the really long review club at Game Critics. It's only you and Dan. You are the only two members of that, so yes. it's a very exclusive club. I'm uh, I'm definitely like I mean I'm uh, I have a habit of writing long, and even like on my I haven't written anything for my blog, my like personal blog in a long time. But even when I used to write stuff for my blog, it would be super long. And like back whenever I played, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the show, but back when I played Deus Ex: Human Revolution, which was like. It was like, I mean, I don't want to use the word revolutionary because the revolution is literally in the title of the game. But like, that's that was like an, an eye-opening moment in video game history for me. And I wrote like a series of blogs. Like, it was like a six-part blog series about Deus Ex, which is probably terrible if you go back and read it now. But at the time, I was just like so inspired and I wanted to write so much and I wanted to cover like every facet of the game. And so I put out this like giant series about Deus Ex at the time and... Um, and I, I just like have a habit of, I do it when I talk about games on the show and I do it when I write about games for the site where 
instead of just saying, hey, here's what the game is, this is how I feel, bye, I always start with, hey, here's a history of the last 10 years of the game and everything you need to know to get yourself caught up with this entry. And I just, like, every time I do it, I feel myself sinking into it, and I'm like, oh, my God, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? And then I can't help it. But I feel like I reined it in, like, a little bit on the Hitman review, and especially because we had talked about it at length so much on the show. Um, I don't know. I thought it was a little bit important to talk about, like, a little bit of the history of Hitman and sort of, like, how it got to where it was in order to kind of compare it back to what it was before and then talk about what I liked and didn't like. So thank you for allowing me to... Uh, write at length about games on the site. It was you. You earned it. You earned it, man. You earned it. I mean, it was it was a good piece, and I think it was pretty clear that you are definitely a fan. You're very knowledgeable about the game and the and the series and such. So it would have been, it would have been kind of silly of me to chop all that off. So, but uh, but I don't let. I just just want to let you know, not everybody gets away with that. You have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea how many words I strike out in a review and send it back to a person, and I expect them to just like fall over and die because I've cut their thing in half. So. You escaped that fate this time, my friend, and uh, so enjoy that victory. Good, thank you. I'll look forward to having this discussion again in like six months when I write my next review for Game Critics. <laughs> for Hitman 3. <laughs> for like the DLC that comes out for it, probably. Totally, totally. Uh, I'm good, man. Uh, other than that, I'm wonderful. I'm glad to be here with you on this fine Sunday morning, and we just got done with a very rousing banter section. I thought we had some good topics. What do you think? Uh, I think so, too. We talked about... Black Friday sales. We talked about uh, tree vibrators, which that's right. if you want to know what that's all about, you're going to have to listen to banter at the end of the show. And we talked about <laughs> some other stuff as well. Talked about spending time with our loved ones and about beer and barbecue and other stuff. All the good things in life. Yes. Uh, well, I... Oh, what? Go, oh my gosh. I think we were both trying to transition at the same time, Brad. I think we were. It was a mutual <laughs> transition. <laughs> Our podcasting instincts kicked in. We both went for the same opening. Go ahead, man. We did. We did. Well, we can uh, move on to games chat. We have a handful of games to discuss this week, uh, one of which I, I always do this. I play a Brad will play a game, and then three months later, I play it, and then we can kind of like double back and discuss it a little bit. Um, but Brad, you have a couple things you want to jump in on, and one of which we actually had a listener slash reader of Game Critics uh, email the show a while back. Uh, specifically wondering if we were going to cover this game. So let's jump in. Do you want to talk about Darksiders 3 first? Yeah, I have a couple. I don't have a whole lot to say about my first couple of games. <clears throat> Excuse me. But yes, I do not remember that person's name. I apologize because I suck. <laughs> I should have gone back before the show and looked it up. It was a woman, I'm pretty sure. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, but they had asked if we were going to be reviewing Darksiders 3. I can 100% guarantee you that game critics will have... Uh, at least one review, probably more like two full reviews. We're probably going to do a full review and a second opinion on Darksiders 3. So that will be coming down the pipe 100% for sure. Uh, as far as me talking about it on the show, I'm about to do that right now, but it may not be exactly what you want uh, because my wife is playing Darksiders 3 right now and I sat and watched her. I, I talked about this briefly in the banter, but uh, my wife is a big uh, action game fan. This is like, you know, she likes character action. This is right up her alley. And I'm actually tied up in a couple of the games, which I will talk about later in the show. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, why don't you play some Darksiders 3 and I'll report back to the to the podcast and we'll kind of cover it that way. Um, so she jumped in, started watching it. Um, so Darksiders is kind of a weird series. It 
was kind of, oh God, I think it was Joe Majerera. I'm, I'm totally probably saying his name wrong. That I think did some of the art for the original game. Does that sound correct to you, Corey? Do you, do you know by any chance? I'm like not tuned in to this series okay. at all. So no big I deal. cannot no big provide deal. support here. I am like 99.999% sure that the guy who did the art, which was actually one of the biggest selling points of the original Darksiders, was a pretty famous comic artist at the time. Um, not one of my favorite personal favorites as far as art goes, but he had a pretty big following. I'm pretty sure it's Joe Majerera. And, if, and again, apologies for the butchering of the last name there. Um, but that was about uh, the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse, specifically about war. And war comes to a post-apocalyptic Earth and needs to find out what's going on because the apocalypse wasn't supposed to happen. So it's kind of like a, a character action game. Very similar to uh, the 3D Legend of Zelda games in many ways, where you have like an open world, you're kind of going around back and forth, you're solving big environmental puzzles, uh, very Zelda-like. And there's also some other elements put in there too. There was like um, a portal aspect because you eventually got these powers that were very portal-esque. Uh, overall, I thought it was a, a pretty well-done game. I enjoyed Darksiders number one quite a bit. Then they went to Darksiders 2, and can, staying with the theme of the Four Horsemen, they went to Death as the next horseman to Star. Uh, they, they succumbed to that like uh, sophomore slump because they had good success with the first one, so they wanted to do bigger, better, faster, more, and I think they just really overreached and kind of misjudged what it was people liked about the first game. Uh, if the first game took cues from Zelda, the second game took cues from Diablo, and I think that was really kind of like a wrong way to go. Uh, where you still had the environmental puzzles and the third-person action, but the game just got really big. Like, it got stuffed with a lot of stuff, uh, just way too much stuff. Too big, too many quests, too much things going on. And the Diablo aspect was, like, they start, they put in this loot system where you're picking up weapons all the time and modifying weapons and putting gems in weapons and upgrading weapons. And it was like, dude, this is not what you want to be doing when you're playing a third-person action game. Like, it was the wrong wrong thing to do and like every single thing you had could be upgraded and it was just it was a mess it was like a real mess <laughs> i did not like it they went away they folded after that uh disappeared you know i don't know life happened something happened so they came back they kind of uh not everybody from the old studio came back but they made a new studio called gunfire games and this is i believe their first game as a new studio they somehow managed to hang on to the ip of darksiders they are now on their third horseman uh, they've actually changed the horsemen around a little bit. They are going with a horseman called Fury, which is not actually one of the four horsemen of the actual apocalypse. This is the video game apocalypse. <laughs> uh, so she is a lady with this like tremendous mane of hair and skin tight body armor, enormous boobs, like high heels. Oh I was gosh. actually commenting to my, to my wife. I'm like, you know, now that I'm older and uh, not as horny as I used to be as a, as a young man. <laughs> I kind of I, I kind of look at a lot of these designs and I look at how many of these are just really like very stereotypical big boobs check, big hair check, big heels check. And that's like half of the women characters that you see in video games these days. So I was a little bit disappointed to see that she seems pretty, you know, just kind of like par for the course when it comes to female characters. I mean, at the very least, give her like some actual like functional boots or something, because, you know, it cannot be good running around the post-apocalypse in high heels. I mean, let's get serious. Like, it's not going to be a thing. <laughs> so she I mean, she's just she's just like a very kind of typical fantasy character. I mean, she could honestly be anybody. She could be the side character in another game. She could be a background character in another game. Who knows? Um, so a little bit disappointed with the character design. She uses a fancy whip, which is, I guess, kind of cool because it doubles as like a... Um, 
something to swing on, or she has different combos she can do with it, so that's fine. Uh, but as I'm watching the wife play, like, it's... The thing that I'm struck by about Darksiders 3 is that it feels very, very early 90s, still a teenager, still very emo, very dark, in kind of a heavy metal album <laughs> cover kind of way. And as, they, as the opening movie came on and it was like the angels of something something were fighting with these demons for the fate of the cosmos and the, the judges of the universe were passing down their I'm like oh my god like I was my <laughs> eyes were just rolling I was like how is anybody supposed to take this seriously I just it was it was like a lot it was like a lot in a really sticky kind of just cheesy way that was really impossible to take serious and then when the game begins Fury is like yelling at everybody and she's like mad is it because she, she is kill... furious is that why exactly exactly <laughs> i'm like oh my god you guys come on like i mean having the angry protagonist with dude who's rude to everybody is so 90s i think it is so 90s i mean she could have been gex the gecko almost you know like it was pretty it was pretty bad so i was just like oh man this feels like an artifact out of a museum of old games. Like it feels like it is not kept up with the times. It feels very dated. Um, so I was kind of bouncing off it just from the theme and watching the wife play it. I mean, it was like, eh, okay. I mean, it's like, you know, she's running around and she's whipping stuff and she's, you know, collecting <laughs> artifacts. And I'm like, Oh my God, this looks like so like, uh, like old, like it looks old, dude. It looks really dated. And I mean, I like these kind of games, but, uh, I don't know. This one just felt like it just is, you know, like I said, like it's kind of just stepped out of a time machine. Um, and the other thing that I really disliked about it was I remembered reading an interview with the developers beforehand. And in fact, I think I even met one of the level designers at PAX. And I remember him saying, you know, we really don't have a map in this game because we really feel strongly that our environmental design is really good because you'll be able to look around you and you'll be like, oh yeah, there's that tree. And then, oh, here's that one building and you'll know where you're at. And I respect that. I respect that. And dude, if you're listening, I know you're not listening, but if you are listening, like nothing personal at all, but like, I do not think you guys pulled that off. Like my wife got lost, like within the first few minutes and I was equally lost too. Like I'm sitting next to her watching it and I'm like, which way are we going? Like, we need to come here. Did we set, check this part already? Are we going back? Like, I, I don't know which way it's going. And there's no map, and we just—I mean, it was like it was like the first half an hour of the game when we already got stuck. <laughs> I had to look it up online where to go, and I'm like, okay, so look, I'm a pro at games. My wife is a pro at games. We're both super experienced with games. If we get lost, then you are not—you are not pulling off the environmental design. It's not as strong as you think it is. So, I didn't play it myself. I just watched my wife play like an hour or two, and that was like my early takeaway. Based on my early takeaway, I do not think I will be playing this game because I'm already kind of getting tired of watching it and I've only watched it for like an hour or two and I'm not even playing. So, um, person who wrote into us, who I forgot your name, and again, I super apologize for not remembering your name, but thank you again for asking us about Darksiders. You can look forward to our two, probably two reviews at Game Critics. Um, I don't think I'll be talking about it again on the show. I mean, Corey, maybe you will play it at some point. Does this seem like something you'd be interested in um i don't think so like for some reason i don't know if it's like the action adventure nature or if it's like the compared to zelda nature or what have you but darksiders is just one of those series that i never got into like i heard plenty of good things about the first one but i don't know if it was like 
the world design or the fact because I'm not like big into like third person like action games um, of that. So, I mean, like Ninja Gaiden is probably. I mean, I like have really high respect for that series and I like it a lot. Um, and maybe it's just that I haven't played anything that I think will come close to that. And I really like DMC, the Devil May Cry reboot, is also like fantastic. But there's just something about this series that has never really. Um, and I haven't played it at all, so, like, maybe I'm totally off base here. Maybe I would play it, and I would love it, and I just haven't tried it yet. But there's just something about it that every time I look at it, I'm like, you know, like, I just don't... I'm just not interested. There's something that's kind of not really clicking with me, and I... So I don't think uh, the third one is definitely going to be my point of entry in the series. I'll probably just let it go and let the people who play it and like it enjoy it, and it's just not... There's something about it that is just not interesting me. Yeah, I mean, I can't blame you. It does have a certain look about it. And I mean, now, I mean, even more so now, like it just really feels really just really out of its time, um, really, really out of its time. So, I mean, if you were ever going to play one, I would say number one is probably the most solid and interesting one. But if that one didn't catch your attention, there's certainly no reason to jump in at number three. So um, we're going to let Darksiders 3 go. I think that's likely going to be the last time we talk about it. Let me move on really quickly. Um, I was talking to some people on Twitter recently about Game of the Year. We are creeping up on Game of the Year territory. I'm not quite ready. I don't think you're quite ready, are you? <laughs> I don't think so. <clears throat> okay, so we're neither of us are ready, but soon. It's coming soon. But, you know, lists are starting to pop up on Twitter. People are talking about it more and more. It's a thing now. And I was talking to, I believe it was Trashylvania on Twitter. Good man, Trashylvania. I enjoy that dude a lot. He's always got some interesting things to say. Good taste in games. And was asking him about his top 10, because I'm, I'm kind of like in the info gathering mode right now. I have about maybe five games left that I want to like at least try before the end of the year, which I, I'm thinking they're probably not going to make it on my list, but I want to at least give them a shot. And so I was, you know, asking other people, what's on your list? What should I check out? What have I overlooked? You know, I do this every year. And one of the games that he said that he really liked a lot was called Wandersong. Uh, I believe it's on Switch. I don't know what else it's on, but... He liked that a lot, and he recommended that. So I'm like, okay, cool, cool, cool. And as we were discussing, um, I mean, I just wrote it down on a piece of, you know, a piece of paper or whatever. As we were discussing, the developers of Wandersong, like, must have picked up on us talking about it. And they're like, oh, would you like to try this game right now? And I'm like, oh, well, I'm um, sure. I mean, <laughs> I guess. I Thank you very much. So they sent they sent me a code for Wandersong. Oh, so dang. full disclosure. Yeah, just like out of the blue. So, full disclosure, thank you very much to the developers of Wandersong. I don't know what your name is. I just know that you run the Wandersong Twitter account. So, thank you for that. Appreciate the code very much. And I downloaded it that day and started playing it. Wandersong is a 2D musical adventure on the Switch uh, where you play as a bard who is in this land. Um, apparently, the world is going to be coming to an end because the universe is tired of it and it feels like it's time to start fresh, but you think, no, 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 the world is a great place, we need to save it. So you need to, like, go in the world and, like, learn this one magical song that can save the Earth. But along the way, you will be doing quests for people, helping people with their problems, solving little things as you travel, and how this is done. Um, so first off, it's, like, it's 2D, like I said. Everything looks like a construction paper cutout. Your guy is made of, like, squares and triangles... And he's got a little circle for a head. I mean, very simple, very colorful graphics, um, very cute. Everybody else is equally simple. Uh, the world looks like, you know, just like 
pieces of paper, basically. And when you go through the game, what you do is you, you sing to solve everything. And I didn't quite understand how this worked at first, but it's actually kind of clever. Uh, when you move the right stick, it goes to a radial menu. And the radial menu has, I don't know, like 10 wedges to it or something. Um, so like top is purple, upright is red, you know, right is yellow, like whatever. It's like a, it's like a color wheel, basically. And whatever direction you point the right stick in, he sings that note. And so you will, I don't know, like, for example, one of the earliest examples is you come to a, a ledge that you cannot jump up to because it's too high. And there's a bird and the bird is singing a song and the bird will, you can hear the music tone. And also he gives you like a little visual cue as to which direction on the radial menu you should be pressing. So he'll sing like two high notes and a low note. And then if you copy that on the right stick by pushing, you know, right, right, down, right or whatever, he will like boost you up and make you jump or you can get to um, a plant that will grow if you sing to it. So you stand on top of the plant and then you sing a couple notes to it and it grows upwards and lifts you up. Um, you can meet some other people who are like, you meet a ghost who wants to uh, communicate something to you. So the ghost will like give you like a little musical challenge where he'll sing a bunch of notes in a row and you got to remember what the notes are. Um, so that's kind of how it goes. It's all about singing. It's all about music. It's all about sound. It's very cute. It's very adorable. I'm not very far into it, but I think it's it's really neat. Um, I will say I'm not a person who has a lot of musical ability. I'm actually pretty music impaired, actually. Uh, I don't... I'm not able to tell you, like, what note a sound is if I hear it. Like, I can't tell you, like, oh, that's C sharp. That's A flat. Like, I don't know any of those notes. When I hear something, like, I... You know, I, I'll hear a song and I'll make, oh, I like this song or I don't like the song or this sounds good to me or it doesn't sound good. But, like, I don't have musical skill. And I have to be perfectly honest with you, um, when I was playing this game, I was running into a lot of problems because even though the visuals are there, I could not, like, with my ear, identify what the sounds were. And so if the visuals were a little bit murky, like I hit this one puzzle where I thought it was uh, upright, upright, downright, but that actually wasn't what it was because, uh, I don't know, so something by the graphics made it look a little bit off. I, I sat there for like 20 minutes because I couldn't figure out what note it was. And I'm sure this would be like pass it in two seconds for most people. Uh, and I know that music is a problem for me. Like it's always been a problem for me, but I got really stuck. And so I was I was wishing that the visuals were even a little bit more clear than they already are. And I feel like they're pretty clear already. Um, but for me, I needed an extra bit of help. But other than that, I mean, and I fully admit that's my own disability, you know, like I just I just have a problem music. But um other than that, I thought it was really cute, like going around and seeing this cute quest. The writing was really cute. The graphics are really cute. I think the music mechanic is a good idea. Um, I, I think it just could just be a little bit clearer because sometimes you get a color with the sound. And when it had the color, I was fine. Like the color helped out a lot. Sometimes you can see the color of the sound. Sometimes you can't. It'll be like a high note is red. Medium note is yellow. Low note is blue. Like when it shows the colors, I'm good. Um, but sometimes they're there, sometimes not. But overall, I really liked it a lot. I mean, I didn't finish it yet. I just got it recently, so I'm still kind of playing through it. Um, but overall, I like it. I mean, I don't think it'll be probably one of my top 10 of the year just based on what I've seen so far. Maybe that'll change. Uh, but I think it's really cool. And if you're a, a Switch owner who likes music and if you like the idea of a non-violent sort of an RPG sort of a thing, this might be right up your alley. So it seems really, really cool. Hmm. I'm wondering... Okay, so first of all... Um... People, even people who are like musically inclined, because I know, I mean, I've like 
played in marching bands <clears throat> and stuff through high school and college, so I know a lot about music. Um, uh, even a lot of people who are musically inclined, if they hear a note, they can't be like, oh, that's an A-flat. Like, that's not, I mean, that's what you call having perfect pitch, and there's, like, very small amount of the population who, like, has perfect pitch and who can name that, uh, to my knowledge. So don't feel bad about, like, hearing a note and being like, oh, I can't name this note on the musical scale, because that's, like, a not very easy thing to do. Um, okay, good, because I feel less like a mutant. Okay, perfect. <laughs> Um, I am interested though, like, I don't, this doesn't really seem like the kind of game I would play, but like knowing what you said about like your difficulties with, I don't know, sort of like music and rhythm, maybe sort of like hampering you in the game. It makes me wonder if I played it, if I would, I mean, I'm not trying to say like, oh, I'm better than you. Cause I was in band, but like, you know, just knowing like how I would relate to the game and if it would be easier for me or if maybe I would get stuck too. like knowing that this game like is even though I know how to like read music I mean I haven't read music in a while but um had once been reading music uh, a lot for several years in a row if it would be easier for me or if because it's not the kind of game I would normally play if I would like have a difficult time with it I don't think that you would like this game. Nothing about this game even remotely says that you would enjoy it. I do not think this is a Corey game, but I guarantee you, you would have an easier time than I would just because music has always been a really weak point for me. Like any game that has music puzzles, I'm always like, oh, fuck. Like I just, I can't, I can never get them. Like hopefully they'll have some lights attached to it or like maybe there'll be a good visual component to it. Uh, but any game that is music is always a really weak point for me. I just don't have an ear for it. I just can't, my brain just doesn't go there. Uh, so I guarantee you that you would have an easier time because I know that I have a real problem with music, but I don't think that this is your thing. I, nothing about this says Corey. I don't think you would enjoy it, but I do think it's a good game. I just, uh, I think I know your taste pretty well and I would recommend that you don't play this. Uh, but other people listening, I think it's really cute and cool. And I bet a lot of people would really dig this. All right. I think that's something that we can agree on. All right. Cool. 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 That's all I have to say about Wander Song. Like I said, I didn't get very far into it. I just started recently, but thank you again to the developers for the code. Super appreciated. I'm enjoying my time with it and I will keep on playing. Corey, let's move on really quickly. Uh, you are going to be talking about Doom VFR. Now I know what V is and I know what R is. What does the F stand for in Doom VFR? Uh, I think it stands for fucking Oh, of course it does. I think so. oh, of course it does. This is video games after yeah, all. Do tell, games. Corey. Do tell about VFR. Yeah, speaking of like 90s video game tropes, by the way, like here we are. Um, so in my uh, in my mission to bring, which is, this is not a real mission. I'm just going to say it every time I talk about a virtual reality game. In my mission to bring VR to every show, um, I have been playing, uh, we talked about Black Friday deals, and I actually forgot to mention that Patrick and I bought some games on Steam during like sales, and I bought Doom VFR because Doom is... Okay, so let me back this up a little bit. Doom 2016 came out. I loved it. You did not like it. Um, but I would sort of, even though you didn't like it, I would sort of like position the game as a pretty big success for for like in, in general for uh, the industry, if you will. And then Doom VFR came out, which is like a virtual reality. It's not like a level-by-level level redo of Doom 2016. It's just like a, kind of like a standalone virtual reality experience. I've been wanting to play this for so long, and it's it's been 30 bucks on Steam, which is like not outrageously priced, but I'm always like hesitant to spend a lot on VR because I don't know like if I'm going to like it. I don't know how long it's going to be. I don't know if I'm going to like get down with it. So it went half off on a sale. I bought it. I thought that was a good, um, $15 was a good place for me to try to get into it. Um, 
and I have been playing it on HTC Vive on the PC. I've only spent about an hour with it, maybe. Um, and the first time I played it, I... Okay, so it's one of those games where you kind of have to get on its level, because one of the things about Doom 2016 um, that that's sort of like one of like the hallmark things of that game is that it's like really fast, it's really ferocious, you've got to be like booking your ass across these like battle arenas, like shooting your guns, or else you're going to be toast, like unless you're playing it on the easiest difficulty level, like it's all about you know, fast movement, jumping, um, floating through the air, shooting, spinning around. Like, it's not a game. It's not like a cat and mouse cover shooter. It's like the exact opposite of that. So Doom VFR kind of is trying to emulate that within VR. And it's a little bit too much. Like, I don't think it's bad. Let me just start there. I just think that, like, this game is trying to be too fast for what it is, I think. Like, it's trying to emulate the sort of battling and the sort of, like, movement and the sort of fighting that Doom 2016 was sort of known for. But whenever you strap a VR helmet on and you're standing up in your room and you're, like, frantically moving around these fight arenas and, and like, the whole game's not fight arenas, so, like, let me make that clear. But, like, there's definitely, like, sort of, like, a couple of you know big fights per level um it's just like it's a lot and the way the controls work it does the teleporting thing like a lot of vr games use you have your gun in your right hand which you shoot and you have your weapon wheel if you press down on the thumb pad on your right hand it opens up the weapon wheel your left hand is your grenade hand it's also your strafing hand so sometimes vr games let you if you like press left right uh, or left or right on the sort of like the d-pad thing the touch control pad on the left hand it'll like turn you which i think is good i like being able to turn in vr without having to turn my physical body this game does not do that it does a dash move it's kind of like titanfall's dash move where you like press left or right and it like strafes you left or right really quickly or you press up or down and it like strafes you i guess you don't strafe forward and back but it like jets you forward and back really quickly which is like good for maneuverability on the battlefield but you you physically have to be turning around a lot because the game doesn't turn you in any way like you have to turn yourself which i mean you might be thinking okay duh it's vr of course you have to turn yourself but like it's it's weird like t turning around a lot in vr is a strange thing to do like usually the game sort of accommodates that by letting you giving you a control to turn yourself or at least giving you like a 180 button or something to like do like a rapid like you know 180 this game doesn't have that and i think that it's pretty good like i'm about four levels in. the way the game's set up is you play as a guy who works at the Mars facility from Doom 2016. He actually has a voice. Um, he's not like a Doom Slayer guy. He's like a just like a worker there. He gets killed, I guess, like right at the beginning of the game. So his body or his like mind gets imported into this like battle chassis thing. So it's kind of like a robot with like a human mind in it. So I guess we're like diving into like Ghost in the Shell territory or something. And so you, like, control this combat chassis through the through the level, and there's kind of, like, a hub level that you come back to where it's, like, a circular corridor. There's, like, an operations room. There's a couple of, like, weapons testing rooms. And then there's a room with a teleporter in it. And you pretty much, like, teleport to an area. And most of the areas I've teleported to so far are, like, actual areas from Doom 2016, um, just, like, recreated in VR, which is kind of cool because it's sort of like a greatest hits of Doom 2016, but in VR... 
Um, so you like teleport to the area. You have a general objective you have to get to. Of course, demons pop up. You shoot them a bunch, and you're like, you know, booking your ass around the battle arena. And then at the end of the level, you pretty much teleport back to the operations area in like the central hub. Um, and then you pretty much just like teleport to you like do an objective, then you teleport back to like the next level. So it's kind of cool because it's like it gives you like a chance to cool down like on the the central hub area between each mission. And the central hub, as far as I know, like you, there's a few like skeleton zombie dudes at the beginning, but they're not they don't come back, so you can really kind of like chill out for a minute. Um. But it's just, like, it's just a little bit too fast. Like, I wish the game would slow down a little bit. Like, I was playing it on, I think there's three or four difficulty levels, and I was playing on, like, the, sort of, like, the normal difficulty level, and I kept getting my ass kicked, and so, like, I stopped playing it, and then, like, a couple weeks later, I came back to it, and by a couple weeks later, I mean yesterday, and I started a new game completely over again, and I started it on the, the lightest difficulty level, and, like, on the first level, like, I got my ass kicked again, and I was like, man, this is, like, like, what the fuck? But eventually I sort of, like, got, I don't know, I got on its level in a way where, like, I started, like, maneuvering better. And, like, whenever you use the teleport option, whenever you, like, place the teleport marker, it slows down time in the game. So that's kind of, like, a good, like, time shift thing where you can, like, slow down time and maybe you can, like, shoot a few things and then you teleport. So that's, like, a good, um, like, VR uh, sort of like thing that they've done to like compensate for VR and there's also a button if you press the grip buttons on the left controller it sends this sort of like shockwave out so if you're getting like bombarded by demons it like pushes them back away from you so that's like another good sort of VR uh, thing that they've added that um, stops you from getting overwhelmed um, and like I think it's good I haven't beat it obviously I don't know how long it is I already have like half the um, achievements for it or like the steam trophies or whatever they're called so i can't imagine it's more than like a couple of hours long which i mean maybe that's a good thing because i don't i'm not i'm unsure still about the idea of vr games being like 20 or 30 hours long like do i want to play a you know a 30 hour long game like standing up in vr probably not um but i mean it's it's like pretty good you just have to like really know that the maneuverability is kind of difficult and you have to be fast i mean the ai for the enemies pretty much acts exactly like it does in the 2016 version, like, they don't really dumb down their attacks or make them move slower or make them, like, handicapped to supplement the VR usage. You pretty much just, like, have to know what you're getting into and, like, be moving fast and be shooting and be turning and be aiming. And I'm surprised that I haven't, like, run into a wall yet or, like, fallen over while I've been playing it because it's just a lot of... It's a lot of, like, turning and twisting and looking everywhere and aiming up and aiming down. And, I mean, it's cool. Like, I haven't really played anything that sort of, like, demands that kind of maneuverability yet in VR so far until this. Um, but I think it's just, like, a tad too much. Like, I wish that they would rein it in a little bit or they would give you, like, a turn option on the controller. But to be fair, I also haven't gone back and looked at the controller settings recently. So maybe there is a turn option in the settings and I just don't know what I'm talking about. Um, but it's pretty good. I, I like it. I'm not in, I'm not, I'm, I'm not liking it as much as I hoped I would, which is a little bit sad because I really hold Doom 2016 like near and dear to my heart. But it's pretty good. It's pretty much just Doom in VR, which I guess is kind of the no-duh statement of the day. Um, I just wish it were a little less Fast and Furious. Um, you talking about having to get down to this game's level kind of reminds me of when I played uh, Doom 3. I think that was on the 360, I believe. That was the one where you had your flashlight strapped to your gun, and it was like you could either have... Oh, no, no, no. It was, it was like either flashlight or gun, right, when you were doing that game? That is correct, yeah. 
Okay, yeah, I played through that one, and my method of getting down with that game was I figured out if you went through the game facing backwards, you were better off than facing forwards because they did, like, these behind-the-back gotcha moments so often. Like, if you just pointed backwards through the whole game, like, that was really the optimal way to play. <laughs> Uh, really shitty design. I like that game. I actually did like Doom 3. I thought it was good. I played all the DLC. I thought it was it was a good time, but that was a shitty piece of design. Um, question for you about um, VFR, though. So, I guess, what does it look like when you're doing this in real life? Like, are you actually moving, or you're controlling with the controller, <laughs> but you're actually, like, uh, like, are you jumping up and down? Are you holding still? Like, how much physical activity are we talking about here like paint a picture for me um i mean i am standing up in the middle of the room and i'm not i mean i'm not jumping i'm not crouching like there are some vr games that actually like require you to crouch in certain scenarios in real life like with the headset on this is not one of them i mean the controller so the left controller teleports you and it kind of acts as your jump too because a lot of games you can only teleport to like stuff that's pretty relative to where you are on the ground but because it's doom you can teleport like 50 feet in the air onto this platform up there and the game doesn't really make any bones about it because that's kind of a thing that you would be able to jump to anyway if you're playing Doom like not in VR. So I'm not jumping. I mean, I'm not running. I'm basically just like holding my arms out and like turning around a lot. Like I'm kind of like, you know, pivoting my body or I'm like turning this way or that way. Like in most VR games, I have a pretty good idea, even though I've been in VR of like where I am in the physical space in the room. Like I kind of know, okay, I'm facing the wall that has my photography backdrop on it, or I'm facing the wall that has the door on it. But in this game, uh, like I'm, I'm basically just turning or like I'm trying to stand in the same spot because I know that if I don't, I'm at risk of like punching a wall or running into a wall. And I mean, it, VR does have a thing where if you get too close to the wall, this like blue barrier kind of pops up in your vision that lets you know like, hey, you're close to a wall, like be careful. But I mean, in the heat of the moment, I have run into a couple of walls playing VR before. Like when I was playing uh, Arizona Sunshine, I totally like uh, stepped into a wall. I have uh, one of our friends who's come over to play VR West and has punched a wall with the controller in his hand. So like. It's not always the easiest thing. Um, I'm trying to stand in one spot and basically just turn around. Because if you can master, like, staying in one spot as much as possible and just, like, turning in the same spot, you're usually, like, pretty safe. But, like, when you have the headset on and you can't really see where you're going, you kind of end up walking in a circle a little bit more than you do just, like, turning in the same exact spot. So that's kind of, like, what messes me up. Like, every time I lift my headset and kind of get my bearings in this game and see where I am in the room, I'm always like, wow, how did I get over here? And I mean, by over here, I mean, like, two feet away from where I was standing before. So it's not like I'm running across my entire house, you know, like, with the VR headset on. But it's just, like, it's a little bit disorienting because I'm, like, turning around so much that I'm really losing, like, where I am in the physical space of the room that I'm playing in. But oh, so could you play this sitting down or do you actually need to physically turn? Like if you sat down, could you somehow map the turning controls to your controller or do you need to get up and, and move around? I mean, you there are no turning controls. That's the thing. Like you have so to, you would need to turn, turn yourself. Okay. I okay. mean, if okay. you were in like a bar, if you were sitting, this is going to get silly. If you're like sitting on a bar stool or on a computer chair that that like spins itself, which I mean, most of them do, you might be able to get away with it if you like if you're like on a bar stool and you like plant your feet on the bar stool and you can like pivot yourself on it, if it's like, it has like a spinny top, that might work. Um, I've not tried it and I maybe wouldn't recommend it because the option of like falling out of the chair for some reason is always there. Um, it's probably possible, but most, 
VR games, you probably need to like be physically standing up for. And the unit you have, is it wireless or do you have wires attached to you? Um, there is a wireless kit available that we do not have, but it has wires attached to the PC. But I'm only standing about maybe about four feet away from the PC. And the wire is like long. So it's not like, you know, it's not like a three foot cord. But um, I mean, in generally, if you're playing it, like it's kind of like going down your back and then to the PC. Um, sometimes whenever you're like turning around, you can kind of feel it like, on your legs and you kind of like know you have to step over it or step around it, which is like slightly problematic, but that doesn't happen often in VR whenever I'm playing it. Like most of the time I know where I am. I know where the cord is cause I can feel it. Um, and I'm not like, you know, about to trip over it. This game, I mean, I haven't been at risk to trip over the cord, but if there were a game where I were at risk to trip over the cord, it would be this one. Interesting. I just asked because, um, you know, we're pretty big on accessibility at Game Critics. It's something that's usually at the forefront of my mind. And I've been hearing a lot of people who are either in wheelchairs or who are or somehow other have some kind of physical uh, challenge to work with who are saying that, like, you know, everybody's really excited about VR and that's great. But, like, accessibility is one thing that like really got dropped pretty hard uh, when it comes to this stuff. I mean, part of it is, like, so much of, uh, well, from what people tell me, anyway, I have not done very much VR uh, but people tell me that sound plays a big role in a lot of VR games. Uh, and so if you cannot hear, you're not getting the audio cues that people are relying on for the immersion. Or in a game like this, where you're moving back and forth and turning and turning, I know uh, several gamers who that might be a challenge for, where they can face a certain direction and playing normal games is fine. But, you know, if they need to, like, spin or duck or something, that might be a challenge. So just kind of wondering how much of a factor that is and... You know, hopefully that designers, I know that the VR is still new, it's still growing, and there's, you know, a process to get through, a process of discovery and learning. But at the same time, I think it's pretty important that we don't leave um, people with disabilities behind in the excitement of this new technology. So that's uh, just something to think about. Just kind of wondering, like, you know, how physical or, or not physical. And this one sounds like it's pretty physical. Yeah, it is. And I mean, I agree. I totally agree with what you're saying. Like, you know, it's important to keep everyone sort of like any, you know, anyone's body whether it be like handicapped or not in mind um you know with whenever we're exploring new technology but i mean i i don't want to be like that guy and i'm not trying to defend vr but i feel like a lot of vr is just kind of like you have to be pretty able-bodied in order to play it i mean there are certain vr games that you just put the headset on and you sit down on your computer and you like use a mouse and keyboard or you use a gamepad and you can experience it just sitting down. Like, there are games like that. And there's even, like, a Steam section that... Or a section on the Steam store, I think, where it's, like, you can select if you want, like, full-room VR games or if you want, like, seated VR games. So there are definitely, like, seated oh, okay. VR okay. experiences, which is good. I don't know how many there are. Um, I think I only have, like, one seated VR game now that I think about. But I do have some, like... Um, there's a couple games I know I have that even though they're not technically seated VR games, like you don't really move in them. So like if you are in a wheelchair, for example, like you would be able to sit down and play them um, and maybe just do like some height adjustments in the settings or something. Um, so there yeah, are some yeah. options, but I mean, I, I it's sort of like bear of bad news where it's like a lot of VR is, you know, standing up turning, moving, being able to stand for long periods, you know, being able to use both your hands with both the controllers and, you know, being able to have the headset rest comfortably and have the headphones in, whether you're using earphones or over the head headphones. Like it's, it's unfortunate, but I think a lot of VR just occupies that space right now. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to be harsh on anybody and I, 
I realize that, you know, this is just getting off the ground. So, of course, things are just starting. But, I mean, I hope that people will, will not forget um, people with other uh, physical configurations or other limitations. And hopefully we'll come back to accessibility and uh, not forget those gamers. But, all right. Uh, let's move on really quickly. I have a couple more games. And then uh, I think maybe we're both going to chime in on something at the end. I'm mm, looking forward to that. I think That's so. a nice surprise. Um, so I talked recently about Space Hulk Tactics, which was a ship fire, and Octung Cthulhu Tactics, which was really boring. Um, I don't know why, but these tactics games were just coming out all at once, and I, <laughs> I, I like tactics games. I'm a big tactics fan. So after playing Space Hulk and Cthulhu Tactics, I was just really bummed that neither one of those was good, because I could really go for a good tactics game. So I, I disliked both of those, and I'm like, man, I really want to play something tactics-based. I just, I'm in the mood for that now. And I realized that I had a copy of XCOM 2, which I started back when it came out, and I just disliked it. I did not like it. Um, part of it was the famous XCOM, you're going to miss your 99% shot, which really pissed me off. <laughs> but part of it was like, it just didn't, it wasn't good enough. Like, it just didn't add enough past the original XCOM it didn't bring enough new to the table. It felt like you're doing the same missions over and over. It just, it just felt like more of the same, and it just wasn't really great. It didn't really run well at that time. And there was also this big to-do. I mean, I had kind of forgotten about it, but I was reminded that it came out on PC only at first, and they were kind of making this big bullshit argument about, oh, this game's got to be on PC. There's no way it can be on consoles because of reasons, reasons, reasons. And I'm like, what the fuck are you even talking about? Because XCOM the first one was made for consoles. Like that was the big deal. Like it was console eyes. It was beautiful on consoles. So how are you going to tell me that a game that was originally designed for consoles all of a sudden can't run on a console? Of course it was like a bullshit smokescreen. I don't know what their deal was. I think they just wanted a bunch of people to play it on PC first so they could beta test it or something. Like it was all a big lie. Like it was just a total lie because within a year or something, like of course it was announced for console and of course it worked and of course it was fine. It just wasn't good. Like, it was not good. And so I stopped playing it after a couple hours and put it away. Uh, because the first XCOM I thought was brilliant. I really enjoyed it. Uh, well, the first rebooted XCOM, not the original. I mean, there's many, you know, we're getting this problem where we're renaming stuff and rebooting stuff. And it has the same name as the old thing. So you never know which one you're talking about. But I'm talking about the rebooted series. So I put it away and I was like, really Jones in for some tactics. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There was a pretty big expansion for XCOM 2 called War of the Chosen which was not just DLC levels. I mean, it was like kind of a retooling of the entire game. And I had forgotten about it. It actually was free on PS Plus for a while. And I believe that I snagged it when it was on PS Plus. I didn't care about XCOM at that time, but I'm like, I might want it later. So I downloaded it. So I had the, I had the expansion. And once I started reading about it and talking about it, people were like, oh yeah, it's dope. It's really, really good. Like it, it fixes everything that was wrong with XCOM 2. You should try it. And I'm like, oh, okay, good. So I got my copy of XCOM 2 out downloaded War of the Chosen, added that into it. And I'm glad that I listened to those people and I'm glad that I, I grabbed it because it's awesome. It's really, really good. Um, so basically, XCOM 2, isometric, uh, turn-based tactics. It's got the basic two-point action system where you can move and then shoot or you can move and move or you can you know do like any two actions in a, in a row, but like two things per turn for each of your characters. Uh, and you just kind of go through these maps, shooting aliens. I mean, XCOM's been around for a long time. I'm guessing most people who listen to this podcast probably are familiar with it. Uh, I mean, I know that you're not an XCOM fan, but even you kind of have a familiarity with XCOM, right, Corey? You kind oh, of yeah. Know basically what it's about. Yeah, I've definitely heard of it. And I've seen, like, you know, trailers <clears throat> and gameplay videos and stuff. Okay, good. So, um, XCOM 2, War of the Chosen. I can't even... 
describe like how much it adds to the game. Like it, it's like it totally it rejiggers so much and fixes so much. Like it feels to me like almost like a brand new game, uh, and it's not. I mean, it's not. It's not all new content, but they redo some of the story missions. They redo a lot of the mechanics. There's a whole bunch of new stuff that's added to it. Like I think the the shot percentages are fixed, where if your shot says like seventy five percent. Like, you actually will hit that shot 75% of the time. So, like, there's been multiple missions where I'll get through the entire mission hitting every single shot, which is, to me, amazing. I mean, <laughs> I don't think that's much to ask for a game, so I'm glad that it finally delivers. They added a whole bunch of new character types uh, that were not there before. You have, like, they're kind of like, I don't want to say hero types, but they're kind of like hero types where there are these three other factions that were not present before. They have these special abilities. They're all really good at combat. Like, one person... It's like a stealth assassin um, sniper. And she's basically invisible for the entire map. <clears throat> Excuse me. Where she can walk through enemy lines, like get really close to people and they won't see her because she's so good at sneaking. Uh, there's one guy who's got this grappling hook and he can like pull guys close and he can stab them with these claws or he can climb up on top of a roof really quickly. He's got like all these like really cool melee moves, really exciting and fun to use. And this other guy has like these psionic powers who's also a melee guy, but every time he stabs somebody with his knives... He, he gets stronger, and so, like, if you keep killing guys, he just gets stronger and stronger and stronger. So, it's actually pretty cool. He gets, he's really dynamic. Like, once you start off with the small guys, and by the end of the level, you're, like, taking down, like, the boss characters with one hit. It's pretty exciting stuff. Um, on top of that, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm having a lot of pollen. I mean, I don't know if it's pollen or what. Something's going on over here. Anyway. Um, there is uh, new alien characters, too, and these are the Chosen, uh, which is where the title comes from. These guys were not there before, but what happens is there are these three, like, super enemies, and they will randomly show up on your map, and they're tougher than everybody else. They have uh, really devastating attacks, and they're really persistent. It's almost like um, like the nemesis uh, showing up in your game in Resident Evil, how he just like, keeps coming back and coming back and coming back, and just to, like, fuck your shit up. So these three chosen guys, depending on what part of the map you're on, they each have their own territory. And when you start to do a mission, you never know when the chosen are going to show up. And if they do show up, you're like, oh, God, it's this guy again. Totally, totally changes your plan, fucks up your, your mission. You got to, you know, at the last minute, figure out what you're doing and, you know, your tactics have to change. It's really exciting and really dynamic, and I really like it a lot. Um, I mean, the new mission types are really good. They've changed it up a lot more where instead of just doing the same, like, three missions that you were last time, sometimes you're doing really stealthy and slow missions. Sometimes you're on a timer. You've got to rush, rush, rush. Sometimes you need to rescue some people. Sometimes you're going to destroy a thing. They added a lot more mission types, which I think is great because it feels really fresh as you're going through. You're not, you're almost never playing the same type of mission twice. So you're always doing something different. And they've also sped up a lot of the research. A big part of XCOM, the new, well, I guess XCOM historically, but one of the, one of the new things was you have this base. And so when you kill aliens, you bring their corpses back, you can do autopsies and learn new technologies. You can reverse engineer like their guns or their armor and stuff. And in the first XCOM 2, the, the vanilla XCOM 2, it took a really long time to research those. It just really dragged the whole game out, and it took a lot of resources. It was really slow, and they realized that. And so this time, you get more resources. The research takes less time. And also, your scientists will often get this thing where they're, like, quote-unquote, inspired. And so the game will say, oh, I think you need this thing, and I'm going to say that the scientists are inspired, and if you choose to do this, your research time is, like, cut in half. So something that might take 10 days of game time will take like five days or three days for them to get through it. So they, they want you just to get to the good stuff faster, which makes sense because it was really slow. It was really drawn out last time. It was really just not exciting. Um, so they have really like from the top down, like re-examined all of the systems. 
just really put a new coat of polish on everything, put a lot more depth in everything. There's a lot more, a lot more to do, a lot more to choose from, a lot more options, a lot more going on. Uh, it's just really more dynamic and exciting, and I think it's great. I, I disliked XCOM 2 so much, I stopped playing it like less than even halfway. Uh, but now that I'm in uh, War of the Chosen, I love it. I think it's fantastic. I would recommend it to anybody who likes tactics. I certainly would recommend it to people like me who fell out of XCOM 2 and just weren't excited by it or thought it was really boring. Like, this is like a basically a brand new game. Like, I'm really uh, thankful that they did. It took them about 18 months to get there after the release of XCOM 2. But clearly they, they got there. Um, this is the game it should have been at the beginning. They, I wish they would have released like this. Uh, but they did get there, and I think it's definitely worth coming back to. It was recently on sale um, for Black Friday and some of the holiday sales. Hopefully some people out there picked it up. I was tweeting about it at that time. Uh, I love it. I think it's great. I think it's wonderful. Um, you're not much of a tactics guy, though, are you, Corey? Do you have any experience with XCOM or any interest in this at all? Um, I have never played XCOM. I probably never will, because tactics games aren't really um, aren't really my bag. Uh, I, I don't know. I feel like... Um, just like on the subject of this kind of thing, uh, it's tough like celebrating something like this because, it, and you know, other games have had this too. Like the other big one that I'm thinking of, oddly enough, is like No Man's Sky, where it's like the game comes out and it's kind of shitty. And then like a year and a half later, it's good. And it's like, well, you know, this should have been what was here when the game launched. But like, even though it's good, you still want to celebrate it because it got way better. But it just sucks that it took like a year and a half to get there. You know, I totally agree. And I mean, this kind of goes back to a point that we've made here on the podcast many times is I think that the best time to play any game is like literally like a year after it comes out. <laughs> I mean, we've said that many times. I'm a firm believer, especially these days, not only because of bugs and polish, but I mean, it seems like a lot of games are getting really rushed these days where, um, you know, I don't know the story behind XCOM 2, but clearly when it launched, it was not good. And it is great now, but they needed like a whole extra year or 18 months to get there. Same thing with No Man's Sky. No Man's Sky was terrible when it came out. I still think it's kind of terrible, but it's still, <laughs> it's it's way better than where it was, right? I mean, even for me who don't, I, I don't like that game, I can fully admit that it is in a much better place now than it was. And maybe I would recommend it to somebody who liked those kind of games now, whereas I would never have recommended it in the past. But at the same time, it like really fucks the people who support these guys, the early adopters or the people who get in on day one, because they're, you're getting like the worst possible experience. It's going to be the buggiest. It's going to be the least balanced. It's going to be the most unfinished. And I don't know how to, how to balance those two things because, I mean, developers need to make money. These people are not volunteers. They have families to feed. I get that they got to meet a bottom line. That makes sense. But at the same time, if you support these people, you're getting the worst experience. Like as a person who is spending your hard-earned money, I mean, we all work. We all have jobs. I mean, games are not free. So it's like you've got to pay for these games. And if you're paying for this game, you're getting the worst experience. It makes you feel really shitty that 12 months later, somebody can buy a copy of the same game for 15 bucks on sale. And it's actually like like empirically better than what you played. Like how, that's fucked up. So it's like, how do you balance those two things? I don't even know what is the right course of action. You know what I'm saying? Like maybe those updates should be free for people maybe sometimes they are but sometimes they're not and so i don't even know what even the proper course of action i mean what do you think should be should people who go in on day one get everything that comes down the pipe later free and and all the do add-ons and stuff or do you, is that just the risk you take i mean i, I mean because if it's up to me i wouldn't buy anything for a year but then if nobody bought anything for a year all the developers have got a business and we can't have that either <laughs> so how do you solve that problem Corey? uh i'm not equipped to um decide how to solve this problem today i mean 
I I don't know. I mean, I feel like if you... I mean, I don't know. There's just, like, if you buy a game on day one, there's no guarantee that... I mean, ultimately, like, we're paying for art here. Like, I know it's a business, and I know it's whatever, but it's kind of like... And I know, like, you know, the prices are totally different, but it's kind of like going to a movie. Like, you buy a ticket for a movie, you go in, you see it, maybe you like it, maybe you don't. You buy a, a video game, and maybe you like it, maybe you don't, but video games have... I mean, I guess, like, every once in a while, there's, like, director's cuts of movies that are released, but you have to, like you don't go to the box office and, you know, be like, oh, well, I saw this before the director's cut. Can I get in for free? Like, they're never going to, you know, they're not going to be like, oh, of course, you get in for free. Um, I don't I don't know. Like, I mean, it probably just depends on how substantial the updates are, how much, because there's a lot of games out there where they will, you buy it once and then they keep updating it and you never pay anything else again. And then that's it. I mean, just like No Man's Sky. Like, I don't think No Man's Sky has ever released, like, paid DLC. And they've, been, like, that game now is substantially different than it was whenever it came out. Um, but, like, some games, like, I'm thinking of, like, Rainbow Six Siege um, is kind of like a game where they keep releasing... I mean, they're not, like, fixing the game, and it was good when it came out, but they keep, like, releasing new content packs, like, almost new, like, seasons, if you will, and you have to pay into it every time you want, like, the new characters or the new maps or something. And I don't know. There's a, There's no, like, market standard for how, like, certain developers and video games, like, approach the scenario. Like, everybody kind of does a little bit different. I mean, I'm sure some of it depends on who's publishing the game, like whether they can fund all of the developers working on it forever. And if maybe they can't fund it, then of course they're going to ask you to like pay for updates later on down the road, you know, in the form of some like, you know, rejigged DLC pack that like, you know, fixes some stuff in the game. I don't know. Just thinking about this makes my head hurt. So I don't, I don't have any answers. It's not an easy thing to think about. And also the other question is like the time commitment, because, you know, as I've said many times also, you know, we are not infinite um, beings. We're not vampires living in the basement who have all eternity <laughs> to play games. Um, you know, we, we are, are finite beings. And so you only have so much time. And so like it kind of it kind of bums me out to think that, like, you know, you would spend a lot of time on a game, get the inferior, roughest, most unbalanced experience. And then then it's better later. Like if you had waited and played something else. You could have come back and spent your time on that good experience rather than playing the shitty one at first. But, you know, I don't know. Life is just risk. Life is sorrow. What are you going to do? I guess that's the chances you take when you play video games. So we're not going to answer that definitively today, but something to think about. (laughs) And folks listening, if you have ideas, I would love to hear your ideas, too. I think we I think we need some good ideas to fix this problem. But anyway, moving on. So what happened was I'm playing XCOM 2 War of the Chosen. I love it. I think it's great. It's really, really good. But as I said earlier on the show, we're getting close to GOTY time, and I'm starting to feel that the deadline is fast approaching. <laughs> There's only like 20-ish days or whatever left in the month, so I'm like, fuck, okay, I can't be playing XCOM 2 right now because that's a game from like two years ago. I'm, I'm not spending my time wisely. I mean, on the one hand, I'm really enjoying it, and that's great, but I really feel like a responsibility as the fucking editor of a game site to play some more games that are from this year because I'm <laughs> going to be talking about it. I feel a little bit of pressure, just full disclosure. So I'm like, okay, as much as I'm loving War of the Chosen, and I'm definitely loving it, I'm going to put on hold, and I'm going to get to a couple of the games. Now, I wanted to kind of stick with tactics. I wasn't done with tactics. I'm still really in the tactics mood right now. So luckily, another game that came out this year, just uh, a week or two ago, was Mutant Year Zero, Road to Eden. Um, Now, I don't know that this one is going to be interesting to you, but it might be, because a lot of the people who are working on Mutant Year Zero are actually former Hitman developers. Oh. 
So a lot of people who left IO from over the years or whatever have gotten together on their own studio. And I'm sorry, I forget what their name is called. I think they're called the Bearded Ladies, which is a strange name. Uh, and they got together and are making this game. And you can kind of see some of the influences. It's totally not at all like Hitman, but you can see little bits of Hitman-ish stuff going on here and there. Basically, uh, I, from what people tell me, Mutant Year Zero is a board game. I've never heard of it before, but it's like a role-playing board game, something like that, like a D&D sort of experience. Uh, and I, this is, a, I guess, the first adaptation as far as I know. Uh, Earth is uh, destroyed, as it is in so many video games. Such a very common theme. Earth is <laughs> fucked over. Uh, viruses, nuclear, toxic, whatever, all sorts of pollution happening. Humanity basically kills itself uh, dead and there's only like one little bastion of humanity left it's called the Ark it's this cobbled together little Mad Max you know hideout of a place where they've got like one working elevator and three gas engines and they're trying to keep the lights on and try to stay alive so uh, the last humans on earth live in the Ark and they have other mutants that are friendly to them uh, they're called stalkers and they use these mutants to go out into the wasteland to collect you know, machine parts and collect food and water and whatever. So they send these mutant stalkers out and to do stuff that the humans can't do. And in this game, uh, the mutants are your, your main characters. One is a, uh, a boar, like a boar man hybrid. The other guy is a duck. He's like half duck, half human. And they are kind of like the, an odd couple pair that go out. Uh, you soon meet another lady who is like, he, she's mostly human, but she's got like some weird features on her. She's got like some horns and, um, weird skin or something. And she's kind of like a different mutant, but basically you form a team of, uh, three people and you go out into the world and the whole world is like reclaimed earth. Um, there was a fad a couple years ago of showing like, what would earth look like if humans disappeared? And it's all like, like picture like a building and then like moss grows on it and trees are spreading out the windows and deer are walking through like empty lobbies and you know like if 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 people vanished what would the buildings look like when nature like took back over so like the whole game looks like a reclaimed earth where you're walking through a hospital but there's it's full of plants because nobody has been there for a long time or you're you find uh like a ferry that's overgrown or you're inside a traffic tunnel and it's like, you know, there's abandoned cars and skeletons, but there's also like plants and wildlife that are kind of like scampering through. So it's kind of a cool setting. Um, so you take your character, your three characters, and this is a strange hybrid because it is turn-based tactics, but it's also got a real-time element where the game begins, you're walking around in real time. Move the camera freely. You can go wherever you want. Uh, you just search the area. You're looking through these discarded, you know, rusted out hulks of cars you're looking through burned out buildings and picking up scraps and pieces of guns and, you know, little doodads that you can use for equipment and level ups and stuff like that. But when you get close to an enemy, they'll have a ring of awareness around them. And if you uh, get too close, they will hear you. And the way that they, the game interprets that is like the, the circle will get larger because it'll show that they're kind of like keying into the fact that someone is nearby and they'll like, you know, they'll come to investigate. And as long as you stay outside of their circle, you are still like, quote unquote, like cloaked or you're still in stealth or they can't see you. But if you get inside that circle, then the jig is up and they know you're there and then it's a fight. <laughs> so it's kind of cool because you're walking around in real time and just kind of navigating these environments and you see these enemies and the game gives you a pretty, pretty fair amount of warning. You're like It's pretty rare that you stumble by accident on somebody like you can see them coming from a ways off, which is good. I think it's fair. 
uh, because this is kind of like a top-down traditional taxis viewpoint, kind of isometric. But but the good thing about this, and the real the real hook to this is like if you see enemies and you stay outside of their circle of awareness, you can take the time to set your guys up in an ambush position. So you'll take like your duck, who's like a really good sniper, um, put him in one position. You can take your lady and you know put her up close to the action. You can take your boar, your pig guy, and get him in a place where he's about ready to rush somebody. And then when you're ready, you click the button and you go, okay, I want to leave real time and I want to go into tactics. And then the whole thing switches. Like, like it stays exactly where it is on the screen. Like you, you don't go to a different screen. It's the same thing. But then all of a sudden, like the grid-based um, tactics comes in. So like grids start appearing on everything. Um, everything stops real time and goes into turn-based action. And then you go, and you proceed as normal, like in XCOM fashion. So it's a really cool hybrid blending stealth and blending turn-based tactics. And setting off... Um, ambushes is really fun like you get every everybody in position you click the button you jump out from behind cover and you blast these dudes and all the enemy all, all the characters have silent weapons so if you use your silent weapons you can like stealth kill them and not alert everybody else which is really important because this game is difficult it's really hard um hard in general and also hard from a tactics perspective because if any one of these enemies gets uh knowledge that you're there they will shout out for backup and like literally every motherfucker in the western hemisphere comes running (laughs) and you are soon like way overwhelmed guys hit really hard it's you get this it's it's tough to come back from that so like you really got to use the stealth as much as possible pick off guys on the corner of the map as as much as you can whittle their numbers down and don't like start a full-on fight until until there are as few enemies as possible um so it's really difficult because it's easy to not kill a guy on one turn because the silent weapons are not as strong as you would like them to be. You've got to really plan it effectively. If you do it right, you can get them quietly and no one is the wiser. But if you miscalculate and you don't kill them on the first turn, they're going to shout out. And then every dude from like California to New York comes running and you've got like a mob of people and you're, you might as well just start over. So it's really difficult, but I like the concept of... Um, the turn-based action blended with real-time stealth is really cool, really interesting. I can't think of any other stealth or any other turn-based tactic game that does this. Uh, there may be one that I don't know of, but this is the first time that I think I've seen it. And I really like the setting. The the, the post-apocalyptic reclaimed world is really cool. Uh, the writing for the characters is really funny. Um, they often are going through an environment and they'll find something. And because these mutants only were born after the world had kind of gone to shit. Like they don't know what life was like beforehand. So they'll come across like an, like an artifact or something. They'll come across like an, they come across an iPod and they're like, well, what's this for? (laughs) Well, I don't know. It's got an apple in the back. Oh, I think it, I think it tests the freshness of fruit. It's like a fruit tester. That's funny. And they're like, yeah. So they do like a bunch of those things where you're, you're like laughing because like, what would you make of a, a piece of technology if you had no idea what it was and if it didn't work anymore, but you know, you had to use your best guess based on very limited information. So they very often will come across something in the environment that is just like really, you know, really funny or like, oh, my God, I can't believe they thought this was this or whatever. Like, what is this uh, necktie or what is this uh, radio or, you know, that kind of stuff. It's, it's really good. So I like it a lot. I mean, it's really difficult. It's very difficult. And in fact, I was um, tweeting the developers and I was like, look, you guys, your game is dope, but it's too hard. Like, the characters are great. The action is great. This concept is great. The graphics are great, but like, it's too hard. Like, and I got to be honest with you. It feels to me like the developers were playing their own game too much and they got really good at it. And so they kept skewing it higher and higher and higher 
without really considering that people who are going to come to this game fresh will not have that same level of expertise and may not want that much challenge. Like, it's extremely challenging. Uh, I mean, I'm a hardcore tactics veteran. I'm a veteran. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but I have, I have put in my time with tactics games. I am no stranger to tactics games. And I find this to be very, very tough. Very tough and very almost grueling at times. Like, you have to be really, really exacting, and it takes a long time to get through a map. So I think the developers are not doing themselves any favors uh, because I'm playing on the easiest difficulty, and I think it's really challenging. There's, like, three other difficulties on top of what I'm already playing, and I can't even imagine why anybody would want it to be harder than it already is. It's already too hard. So I think the devs need to just, uh, you know, woe their horses, uh, dial it back a little bit, get some perspective, get your head out of your development station and take a look around because I think you're, you're too deep into it right now. Uh, hopefully they will adjust it. I told them it was too hard. They took the feedback into consideration. Who knows if they'll do anything, but I think everybody who plays it right now says it's too hard. But other than that, I think it's really great. I think um, everything about it is really good. It feels very fresh and interesting for the tactics genre. I'm really glad I'm playing it right now. And uh, I would recommend it to tactics vets and people who are not afraid of a little bit of challenge. Corey, thoughts? Um, maybe in a year and a half, they'll release some DLC that'll like rejig the whole thing. And uh. it'll just be <laughs> even better. You went there. You went there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, you're not wrong. I bet you anything in six months or a year, there's going to be the new quote unquote, you know, friendly difficulty. And that'll be the one to play it on because it'll be the less the less aggressive one. And again, you'll get the best experience in six months or a year. So you're not wrong, dude. I guarantee it. Um, so you're not a tactics guy. Anything about this interesting at all now? Uh, I mean, the only thing you could bait me with is that it was made with former Hitman developers, but I'm just like not into tactics. So this is probably something I'll never play. Yeah. Yeah. And even that hook is not enough for you. I mean, you can, you can smell the Hitman scent on it, but it's not enough to get somebody like you and I wouldn't recommend it for you at all. So, all right, I think it's good, though. I think it's really great. I, I like it a lot. It's too hard, but otherwise I like it a lot. I definitely would recommend it to Tagus people. That's all I have to say. I may follow up on it because I do plan on finishing it. But now we've only got one game left to go. Uh, let's turn it over to you, sir. You've been playing Call of Cthulhu, which uh, I played not too long ago. Uh, you got this from Gamefly, I assume? Yeah, it's been sitting on my coffee table for like two months, and I just started playing it last week. <laughs> what, what motivated you to finally put it in? Uh, well, I knew that I didn't really, I didn't have anything like super lined up for the show. And I was like, well, like I need to play this and I want to play it. And so I guess I'll just play it now. Cause I kind of like, I'd been playing Hitman 2 so much that I kind of like exhausted playing Hitman 2. And I was like, all right, I need to move on to something else. And I need something to talk about on the show. Cause if I bring Hitman 2 back to the show, people are going to be like begging for my blood. So here I am in a Hitman 2 less show talking about Call of Cthulhu. All right, fair enough, fair enough. So I played through this a while ago. I talked about it, but maybe you should remind people really quickly what this is about, what kind of game it is, and then we'll dive into it. Uh, sounds good. So this is a first-person, sort of um, obviously Cthulhu-inspired because that's in the title of the game. Uh, so like detective game. Um, I wasn't really sure what all this game was going to be about until I knew that I was interested in it because I think I had seen like screenshots and trailers and stuff. So you talking about it on the show got me more interested in it, which is kind of fascinating for me. And like Patrick was watching me play it the other night and I was thinking, I told him, I was like, I don't know why Brad played all of this because it's such a me game and it's such like a not you game because it's like, it's not a walking simulator, but it's like pretty damn close. Like there's not really any combat like you play as a guy named edward pierce is that right 
That sounds right, yeah. <laughs> uh, you play as a guy who might or might not be named Edward Pierce, and he's a private detective. He's kind of like, you know, your stereotypical, like, kind of like older white dude, alcoholic, has nightmares and demons in his past, and reminds me a little bit of um, Booker from uh, Bioshock Infinite, because it's like, his, like, detective office is very, like, 1950s. It's very much the same. Um, the desk and the door with, like, the the clouded door with his name on it. It just, the whole setup is very similar. Um, he wakes up after a nightmare in his office. A guy comes to his office and says, hey, I want you to investigate the death of my granddaughter. Is that right? It's his granddaughter? Granddaughter, yes, that is correct. Um, and so, basically, a woman was killed under kind of, like, mysterious circumstances. She was a painter. She was an artist living on in a manor she was like a wealthy artist living in a manor with her husband and her son um on this like island that's kind of like disconnected from the rest of the world and so you as edward pierce and all of your drunken alcoholic detective glory or whatnot um you embark on this journey to uh solve to basically dive in to figure out who uh, or what was going on because it was it's uh, obvious that it wasn't just a murder like there was something else going on or she didn't just die you know from whatever circumstances um but the game i mean it's first person it's not a first person shooter it's not a first person like tactical game a lot of it is just walking around and talking to people which is like it's okay i mean it's a little bit boring but a lot of it is walking up to somebody there's um a lot of uh conversation trees very mass effect like where you can have, or even Fallout, like, I guess, where you can have different conversations with people. You have a character skill table, so you have, like, several different kinds of skills that you can put points into. Um, there's one for, like, investigation, which helps you, like, see stuff during investigations. It helps you, like, lockpick. There's one for strength, which is, like, literally, like, physical strength, which plays into the game interestingly because the game's not really about, like, fighting or anything, but we'll get to that. There's one um, that's about, like, seeing, like, invisible stuff, quote-unquote, where it's, like, and there's certain segments of the game where you're kind of, like, exploring a crime scene, and it helps you, like, detect things. Or, I mean, it, I guess it lets you detect things because you, certain things you can't see unless you have that leveled up enough. And if you have it leveled up enough, then you can, like, see things that help in your investigation. There's one for speech that helps you, like, do speech better. Um, you can find books and stuff in the environment to level up your medical skills or your occultism skills um that sort of like give you more info about like you know medical conditions or stuff that's going on with like this like occult scene on the island uh brad am i leaving anything out in there no no you've you've encapsulated it very very wonderfully like you said first person walking around talking to people detecting no you're on it man you're on it keep going all right all right so the interesting thing is like once you get to the island because the first part of the game only takes about a half an hour and then you like board the ship to the island and the thing that kind of struck me that I thought was cool but was also kind of confusing is, like, the first kind of big area you're in, it's kind of, I mean, it's not, like, an open-world game, but the first area, you have, like, a lot of options on how you want to do things, and it kind of, like, reminded me of, like, Deus Ex in a way, or even, like, Dishonored, because the art style in the game really reminds me of Dishonored, where it's, like, rooted in reality, but it has this kind of weird, like sort of, like, ethereal thing going on. I mean, obviously, it's, like, Cthulhu, so there's, like... I mean, that whole element to it where it's there's, like, occultism and, like, a little bit of magic and everybody, like, wears these cool outfits because it, like, takes place a long time ago. Or, like, the art style is very similar to Dishonored for me, but it's, like, a little bit kind of creepier and darker. 
Um, but like you're in the scenario and you have to get into a this like warehouse that apparently has like stuff in it that he wants to see, like crime scene documents or something. And there's like a lot of different ways you can go about getting into it. And I mean, if it were Deus Ex, you could just shoot everybody and walk in. But this isn't, like I said, this isn't a shooter. So like there's an area like across the map where there's like this sewage grate, but you have to like find all these pieces to like make this lever work to raise the grate, I think, that you can get underneath. And for whatever reason, I couldn't access that because I didn't have enough um i don't think my like see invisible stuff was high enough in order to um see whatever pieces all the pieces i was missing and then there's like um you know like the speech one where you can like walk up to guards that are guarding the warehouse and if your speech is high enough then you can you know say something clever to them and get them to leave then you just go in and then if you go in there, there's like a way to lock pick your way into it or to like bribe these two drunk guys to like start a fight with the guards so there's like a lot of different ways and that's something that i think is really cool about the game is that like in a lot of given scenarios it's like okay you have like 10 different ways you could do this but it really just depends on what you've been leveling up your skills to do because if you don't have them leveled to a certain extent there's really like nothing you can do on that route and something that i thought was cool is whenever you get to the warehouse there's like this really cool sort of like lady that oversees the island and her name is Kat. And she's like this mysterious sort of like, she's kind of like a mob boss in a way. Like if that were sort of like implemented into this. And so you get to the warehouse and I go in, I'm trying to lockpick the warehouse and my lockpick skill isn't high enough. So I try to lockpick it and Pierce is like, oh, I can't, I can't get this lock or something. And I turn around and Kat's like waiting for me right behind me. And so I'm like, fuck, I'm like really in it now. And she's like a bad bitch. Like she doesn't fuck around. So she starts like fighting you in first person. And it's not like a quick time event. It's not like you're not like pushing buttons to fight her. It like all goes down like within the first person cutscene of this game. And I suspect that if I had put points, a lot of points into strength, I would have been able to like fight her back and beat her. But I didn't because I didn't have any points in strength. So I think it's like one of those things where like it re really depends on what you put your skills into in the skill tree on like how you can navigate the scenarios. But there's always another way to do it because the game is not gonna like brick wall you and be like, oh, you don't have any points. Like, never mind, you can't do any of this stuff. So there's like always a way to solve it or like solve it enough to get you through to the next area. Um, I feel like I'm talking a lot. Is there any, uh, Brad, any input so far? Anything, any foils you want to talk about for how you did like maybe the warehouse section that I missed? No, I mean, I think that you are, you're, you're right on. I mean, I think that the section you're in is a good section. It's a good way to start the game because it does give you kind of a sense of what they're going for. And it's basically, like you said, it's kind of like a, there's at least two or three ways to do anything in the game. You never get blocked. I mean, you never get stuck because, because if you did get stuck, there's no way to like grind for experience or anything. It's like, you just do everything like once you cannot replay events. There's nothing to kill for experience. So it's like, regardless of how you put your points in, there's got to always be at least one path for you to, to progress, which is good, which I really liked a lot. Um, I got into this game, I think because I'm definitely um, a Lovecraft slash Cthulhu fan. And I've read a lot of the original stories. And I've, I've played basically all the games that I can play on console. So even though I'm really kind of a scaredy cat when it comes to spooky games, I did like the idea of playing a detective and going through and not having combat be part of it. And just kind of like going into a very classic Lovecraft story. This is, in many ways, a very classic Lovecraft tale where the detective starts off, it's an investigation, and things kind of slowly descend into madness. 
So I was really interested to see uh, what their interpretation of this game was going to be like. And uh, so far, I mean, I, I think you're definitely nailing it. I I put not enough points into lockpicking at first, which I regretted later on, and which is dumb. Because, I mean, <clears throat> the cardinal rule of any video game is, like, if there's lockpicking, you must max that out ASAP because that <laughs> opens up everything else. It was stupid for me to not do that. I don't know why I thought I could get away with that. It was dumb. Um, I think also that the, the detecting skill is really good where you can see things. Uh, notice notice small details in the environment I think is really useful as well. Um, so I guess, uh, how far are you in the game, Corey? Did you finish it? Are you still progressing through? Or what? where are you at in the game? Um, I have not finished it. So I've gone to, you know, the dock area is the first part. And then you get to the warehouse. And then you get to the manor. Um, and then you get to, like, the caves underneath the manor. And then you get to the hospital. I've been through the hospital. So just to pause for a second on the hospital bit, um, there's a certain point in the game where you're like in sort of like a psychiatric ward in this hospital and you have to escape. And then the game introduces like a sort of outlast-like sort of cat and mouse like stealth thing. And like I think it's – the game's pretty soft on you, which I think is good because um, it's not one of those like if someone sees you for a split second, you're dead situation and also, if somebody sees you, like, if one of the doctors or one of, like, the nurses sees you, you can, like, run from them. And if you're, like, strategic in how you run and get away, then usually it's pretty easy to get away from them. But if they catch you, it is, like, a game over, reload your last save, which I think is a little bit of bullshit. But um, I wasn't really expecting, like, that sort of element to be brought into it. Because this game, like, this is one of those games that reminds me of a lot of different games. Like, it reminds me of outlast because it has these sort of like or or even like um like soma or uh, like penumbra or you know those games because it has very much like a you have to hide from stuff every once in a while and like stealth around and you know there's like cabinets you can hide in and you have to like create distractions and then you know run past people whenever they're investigating the distractions that kind of stuff um it reminds me a little bit of condemned criminal origins because it has these like crime scene areas where you have to like isolate a crime scene and then like look around and you have to like notice small details in the environment and you have to like really you know kind of like scour the crime scene as much as possible and it's not like as grim really as condemned and it's not like you know like you know jacked up druggies like hitting you with lead pipes like it's not like that but um, it just has a similar sort of detective thing it reminds me a little bit of like the darkness in a weird way i think it's just like the visual style it reminds me a little bit of dishonored because of the visual style um it's kind of like if Dishonored were a detective game and it didn't have combat. Like, that's kind of what this, like, in a weird way reminds me of. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it, it kind of keeps introducing, like, little, um, like, like the hide-and-seek thing. And I just got to a part where I'm visiting someone who, like, was given a painting by the woman whose death you're investigating. And this, like, monster thing, like, climbs out of the painting and you have to, like, hide from it and get around it. And I, I stopped right whenever I got to that point. Um, so I haven't, like, played it. I didn't, like, die and then stop out of frustration. I was just tired the other night when I was playing it. And I was like, all right, this seems like a good place to stop. Um, so that's where I am now. I'm in, like, I mean, do you know where that is, Brad? Oh, oh, do I? <laughs> oh, do I know where that is? I certainly do know Are where Are you going to tell me it's, like, the worst part of the game now? That is one of the worst parts of the game coming up right there. It is literally one of the worst parts of the game. It's where, like, so I'm with you all the way. And I, I, so I played this game all the way through. I liked it a lot. I think that in general, having played almost all of the Cthulhu video games that are able to play, um, I think it's one of the better ones for sure. But that's not to say that it perfectly manages what it tries. 
I think that it starts off really, really good. And I think that you've been through really some solid parts, which are nice. Uh, but when it starts introducing stuff like this with, with getting chased by the monster, it falls down on its face a little bit because I will tell you, I won't spoil it for you, but that particular scene where you're at is, I found to be extremely frustrating and I was not understanding what it wanted me to do. And because you cannot fight it, it's really unclear as to how to solve that situation. Oh, no. My my suggestion to you would be try it maybe two or three times. If you don't get it within the first two or three times, just look it up because <laughs> you will just get mad and you'll you won't figure it out. I don't think you'll figure it out because I don't think it's intuitive for anybody. Uh, most people I know who played that game at that section had to look it up, and I don't know who originally wrote the FAQ, but whoever that is, thank you very much because you saved my sanity. Um, so that is one of the worst parts of the game. Don't dwell on it too long. Just keep going. <laughs> Um, and I will say that as I'm, I'm curious to hear what you, you think of the rest of it. We should definitely circle back on this next week by, if you're done by then, because as someone who came at it as a Cthulhu fan, I kind of wanted certain things out of it, which it did not deliver in terms of story. Um, I mean, there's only one way that these stories ever end. So I knew how it was going to end because if you've read one, one Lovecraft story, you know, which way this is going. It's not a surprise, but how they got there was a little bit not to my taste and, <laughs> I, I don't want to ruin anything, but let's circle back and talk about it and definitely use an FAQ for that part and don't spend too much time on it. Yeah, I I will uh, I will adhere to those rules, and I'm definitely planning on playing it more because I do like it. Um, I mean, it is weird to me because I know that you're more into Cthulhu and I'm not, but it's just like it's very walking simulator-y to me because you're just walking around, you're like solving minor puzzles, you're talking to a lot of people. I mean, there's no shooting, no combat, a little bit of stealth, so... I, I am just, like, at, at my core kind of fascinated that you played this entire game because this is the kind of game that I think I would play and be like, wow, I like this, but Brad would probably hate it. And then here you are playing it and enjoying most of it. It all comes down to the theme and the setting and the premise. And I think that, I mean, I really like the idea of being a detective doing actual detecting, which I thought was really cool. Um, and, I, you know, I'm, I'm in for the Cthulhu stuff to begin with. So that was, like, two ways it kind of got me in. And I think it just, I was at, at that particular moment in time, I was up for something that was maybe less less action focused and more a little bit more cerebral and a little bit more um you know just using your brain and puzzles and i mean i think overall it's really good i really want to compare notes with you maybe we should do a really quick spoiler section on it um next week if you finished it by then you're probably at this point you're probably at least halfway um so you don't have like all that much left to go but as someone who's not a cthulhu fan i'd be curious to hear what you make of it i mean speaking of which along the same lines um the council just released its fifth episode and so now the council is complete i've been talking about it a lot i haven't played episode five yet it's coming up for me very soon uh very strong contender for um top 10 of the year i, I love the council a lot and that is also non-combat walking around discussing not really walking sim but maybe more closer to a telltale sort of thing uh, I, I think that's, it might be your jam, dude. Are you, uh, going to get to that anytime soon? Do you think? Uh, I, it's on my list. I bought it and I bought like the whole season whenever I bought it. So I should be able to download all the episodes. I have not started it, but I will start it soon. I think. All right, cool. Definitely get to that. That's another game where I think, um, maybe it's not traditionally my sort of a thing, but I did like it a lot. I bet you probably would like it as well. And I feel like there was one other thing that I played recently that I really liked. That, oh, yeah, uh, of course, The Invisible Hours. That was another thing where I'm like, oh, I bet Corey would like that. And uh, we talked about that. So that was really good. Um, having a little bit more crossover on the podcast. This is pretty good. It's kind of nice. We are <laughs> having some more games that we each can talk about. So I'm enjoying that. Um, but let's circle back. Let's circle back once you're done. I like that idea. All right. 
Sounds good. I have no further comment on Call of Cthulhu. Anything left you want to wrap up or you want to uh, head to the close? I think we can bring it home. Let's do it. I got to go kill some trees. <laughs> and vibrate some trees, more importantly. We got to vibrate some trees. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, um, that brings us to the end of the show. Uh, today we talked about Darksiders 3, Wandersong, Doom VFR, XCOM 2, War of the Chosen, Mutant Year Zero, Road to Eden. I can always count on you, Brad, to bring the most ridiculously named games to the podcast. I try. I try. And I talked about, or we both talked about Call of Cthulhu to wrap it up. Um, But that brings us to the end of episode 109. Uh, Remember, you can stick around after the show, after the ending music, if you want to hear banter. Uh, We talk about some Black Friday sales of vibrating trees. I'm just going to bring it up again. We talk about vibrating trees. So if you want to hear about that, uh, please stay tuned. Um, If not, uh, you can bail now, and we will catch you next week if you're just in it for the video games chat. Uh, But in the meantime, please remember you can send us any uh, thoughts, feedback, uh, feedback, if I can say that word correctly, uh, ideas, uh, games, anything you'd like us to discuss on the show, any questions, anything like that. Um, You can email us at sovideogamespodcast at gmail.com. You can also post comments for us on Game Critic's website whenever the show goes live over there. Uh, you can also post comments or message us on SoundCloud as well. There's like no limit to the amount of ways you can get a hold of us. Um, we're also on Twitter as a collective show at So Video Games over there. And last but not least, you can reach us individually on Twitter. Uh, my social media handle, which goes for pretty much everything, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, uh, some other stuff probably that I'm not thinking of, is my first and last name. It is Corey Motley, C-O-R-E-Y-M-O-T-L-E-Y. And Brad, what is yours? Uh, I am on Instagram and Twitter, B-R-A-D-G-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y. All A's, no O's. And please do reach out. We do read every single comment. We get all of the messages. We love hearing from readers. I feel like it's been a while since we've gotten any some good comments. So if you're out there, you're listening, you got a comment, you got a question, you want to you criticize us for something don't oh be too God. harsh but no, if you got yeah. uh i mean anything like reach out let us know what you like what you don't like or just tell us uh, you want us to talk about a specific game or you got a question we answer fucking anything on the show i mean it can be like sex question food question movie question game <laughs> question anything so reach out don't be shy i guarantee we will read your comment and we do want to hear from you so please don't be a stranger yes the only thing we will not do not the only thing but something we will not do is a deep dive on both hitman movies which earl on twitter keeps bothering us to do we're not gonna watch both hitman movies and do a deep dive on hitman video game movies on the show we briefly talked about them during our hitman deep dive episode but we're not doing a deep dive on the movies individually so despite what you request we might deny some of them um that's our... true we do we do what we can <laughs> it's not everything's possible <laughs> yes uh, we field requests at our discretion um but that's it uh brad do you have anything else before we sign off no, that's it. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, glad to have you aboard this journey we call the Soba Games Podcast. Corey, <laughs> also thank you for getting up early today. This is, like I said at the beginning of the show, the earliest we've ever recorded, which <laughs> I don't really want to repeat, but I'm glad that we had the option. Thank you for being flexible, and thank you to the people for listening. Yes, and I'm also glad that I'm not hungover because I was out last night. So... Um, here we are, but that's the end of episode 109 of the So Video Games Podcast. We will be back next week with episode 110. But until then, this is bye from Corey. And I almost said bye from Corey, but I really meant to say bye from Brad. <laughs> we'll see you next time, folks. Bye-bye.
so here we are. Thank you for joining me a little early today. I think this is the earliest in the morning we've ever recorded. Probably. And I like, I mean, I'm not hungover, but I went to Patrick's work holiday party last night and drank a lot. Um, so this, I mean, it, it was kind of like a, I don't know, kind of like a good and a bad thing. Because even though we're recording early, I went to bed like early, quote unquote. Because on weekends, usually when I'm home, just like doing whatever, I go to bed between like four and five in the morning. And last night I went to bed at like 2.30 or so. So despite the fact that I went out, I actually went to bed earlier. So this isn't the worst thing in the world. Uh, you got to bed earlier than I did. I meant to get to bed early, but then um, we just got busy doing stuff. And uh, by the time the... Like, I'm finding that um, the only time I really get to play a game these days is, like, before bed, and so it, I get cranky if I go to bed without playing some games, so it was, <laughs> it was, it was kind of late, and I'm like, I should probably go to bed, but I'm going to be real upset with myself if I don't get any game in. So I did, but then I got to bed too late, and I'm really tired right now. Oh, man. So, All right. We'll have to I, pull each other through this show, then. Yes, mutual energy exchange, because <laughs> this is, I'm going to be dragging. I'm going to be dragging. If I start to flag, nudge me, and I will do the same for you. <laughs> Uh, all right well i don't have like a ton of banter uh i mean i mean the only thing that's really i guess maybe noteworthy at this moment is uh well okay i lied i got a couple things what what do you got Corey? you got anything you got anything big Uh, i've got like i have a couple well i guess i have like a couple things and i I have like a question that i want to ask you but i also don't know if like you'll have a big response for us. All right, why don't you why don't you start off to your question and if, if that peters out then go to your next topic and then I'll I'll do my thing at the end then. <laughs> All right, I was just going to ask you. I know we talked briefly about like Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving God was already like weeks ago, but it still kind of feels like it was just a few days ago. Um but we never talked about if we did any like Black Friday shopping or anything cuz <clears throat> I'm not one to like go to stores and line up, you know, and go to Target at like 8 p.m. or whatever whenever they open, but I'm kind of the guy who will if I get emails with deals or if I, like, know that there's something I can buy online that's probably cheaper, then maybe I'll get it. Um, and I picked up, like, a few things. I don't know if any of it's, like, super noteworthy. There's one thing that's definitely, like, video game related. Um, but I didn't know if you, like, what you guys did or if you, like, picked up any video games or anything for Black Friday uh, around, like, Black Friday to Cyber Monday weekend. Uh, I don't tend to be, like, a Black Friday kind of person. Like, I don't generally care. I certainly don't go to any stores. That's, you know... It seems like it's less of a thing these days with everybody shopping online. So maybe it's not like the death trap, you know, danger zone that it used to be. Um, but no, I did, I mean, I, I think I did buy a couple things, but not intentionally and not like I was waiting for it or anything. I mean, I think the what did I get? I got I don't know. It was like a couple games on Switch that were just on sale because I saw somebody tweet that there was a sale or something. And uh, I mean, it, it was just nothing, nothing even really worth talking about. What about you? Um, I picked up the video game related thing I picked up was um, you're probably going to roll your eyes whenever you hear this. Uh, and this is not even like new or fancy or anything, but I bought because Gamefly, you know, we both have Gamefly and they sent yeah, me like, yeah. ooh, Black Friday sale, like email. And I like buying stuff from Gamefly's site because it's free shipping. And um, usually I have like a $5 like uh, like coupon code hanging around somewhere because they generally like always have some kind of like $5 deal going on if you're if you've been a member for more than like three months or something, totally, and totally. I swear this show is not sponsored by Gamefly. God, we although, fucking should be. Oh, you know, I know. Hang, hang on one second. <laughs> I don't know if you saw this. Actually, Gamefly replied to me on Twitter. Did you see that? 
No, I didn't. This is so, we're such fucking shells. We people don't, will not believe we don't get fucking sponsored by GameFly. I'm gonna send this to them and be like, dude, you've got to sponsor us because somebody was talking about the Xbox Game Pass, and then somebody else was talking about PS Now, and then I jumped in. I mean, and it was not random people. I mean, I knew them both. Like, it wasn't like I was like stalking rando conversations or anything. But like, I was like, oh yeah, I tried Game Pass, and I tried PS Now, and I got rid of both of them because. I didn't want to have all these extra things on my automatic um, deduction. You know, I already got enough. I don't need to add any more. And I'm like, oh, it's like Gamefly better because uh, it's not console specific. So I can get something for Xbox or I can get something for Switch or I can get something for PS4. And it serves me pretty well. I'm like, oh, so I stick with that. And then like Gamefly like tweeted me. They're like, thanks for sticking with us, Brad. And I'm Aww. like, thanks, Gamefly. Now fucking cop up a couple bucks for my show, <laughs> goddammit. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so true. Um, it's a drag that they don't sponsor us. But, I know, um, seriously. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to jump on your shit. But so, so how? So what? You, you saw the GameFly sales, which are great, and I always do those as well. So go ahead. Yeah, I ended up buying. Um, I have a real knack for buying games that I already own again if I find them cheaper or if I want them on a different console. And so I bought for like I think it was like after free shipping and after like my five dollar deal, like uh, like code. I think it ended up being like six or seven dollars, and I got. The double pack of Limbo and Inside for PlayStation 4. Uh. Um, it comes on a disc, and you basically just like insert the disc in your PS4 and download it. And Inside, I know I've gushed about Inside on the show before, because um, I got it, I played it for review on um, Xbox One. And this was actually before we started the podcast, because we talked about Inside. Um, I think it was before, whenever I was in Seattle and we podcasted with uh, Carlos, I remember I had played it like right before I went to Seattle. So that was like, Jesus, the big that was a while ago, man. That yeah, was that was ago. a long time ago. Um, that was still to this day, one of my favorite podcasts I've ever done in my life. But, um, uh, but I bought the double pack of Inside and Limbo for a few bucks uh, because I like Inside a lot and I don't have it on PS4. So I had just been kind of like, waiting for a good sale to buy it on PS4. Um, so I bought it there. Um, I also bought, like, not video game related. I bought, like, a couple of, like, skincare items. There's a skincare brand called The Ordinary, and they're, like, they kind of have been in, like, hot water lately because their founder uh, or, like, their co-owner, his name is Brandon Truax, he's kind of, like, unhinged and not in a good way. And he <laughs> he had been, like, making a bunch of, like, really kind of ridiculous like social media posts and the one that really like sent me over the edge well not over the edge but the one that that I was like I'm never buying from them again is uh he like posted this was like last summer so it was a while ago he like posted this like like in Instagram post and it was too on the ordinary's Instagram it wasn't even on like his personal one because he kind of like treats it as his personal right, one right, like right, right, right. um he like tweeted the or posted this thing on Instagram about how like people need to stop comparing him to Donald Trump because he, he like runs the ordinary. He, there was a point in time where he basically like fired everyone that worked for him at the ordinary. And, and a lot of people were like, wow, this is really like Trumpy. Like if people don't like him, he just fires them. And so he like posted this Instagram thing and was like, Oh, like the president has so much more going on and he deserves our respect. And yeah. I can't believe everybody is comparing me to him. And I was like, okay, well you can fuck off and I'm never buying anything from you again. But then um, this is getting like deep into skincare nerdery. Um, Estee Lauder, which owns like a bunch of skincare brands, uh, sure, sure. They 
uh, he sold a share of The Ordinary to them like last year. And that was kind of like a big to do because he was all about like cruelty-free uh, makeup and cr cruelty-free skincare. And Estee Lauder owns brands that are not cruelty-free that sell in China. So a lot of people were like, whoa, what are you doing, Brandon? Well, after all of his outbursts, time and time and time again, and there was like a bunch of other stuff that happened that I'm not, that's not even worth diving into, Estee Lauder basically voted to kick him out of the brand. So he like founded... Decium, which owns The Ordinary and The Ordinary and a couple of other brands. And then he like sold part of the share of the business to Estee Lauder. And then they turned around and were like, bye, bitch. And like kicked it. They like voted to kick him off of basically the CEO board. I think he's still on the website. If you go to the website as like a co-owner, but he's like not actively involved in the company at all anymore. So I was like, okay, like I feel like a tiny bit better about buying from them. And they had like a really good deal on some chemical exfoliant and I bought one of their um they have a foundation range and I bought one and let me tell you I know you're not like into makeup like I am buying trying to buy a shade of <laughs> wait, foundation wait, wait, wait. Just, just to be clear I'm into makeup but not into makeup like you are yeah yeah not like, <laughs> not like that um trying to find a shade of foundation on by looking at pictures of it online is not an easy thing to do and I did not fail miserably in my choice of the ordinary foundation, but it's definitely like a little bit too orange for me. Uh, mm, mm. But that's a little bit beside the point. Um, but yeah, those are a couple. Like I bought Inside, I bought Limbo on disc, I bought a little bit of skincare and makeup, and um, I've been like in the on the hunt for a second monitor. Like I want to be one of those guys who has two monitors for my PC because like. I don't know. It'll make me feel like a cool guy. Really, I just want to watch like YouTube videos while I'm editing um, pictures. <laughs> like, that's like really what I want to do. I want to like have a movie on one and like have my pictures on the other that I'm editing. But that's kind of like a big thing I've been in the market for. But I haven't seen any like great deals. So I'm thinking maybe like Christmas time I'll buy one for myself. But it's hilarious um, that you say that. I mean, number one, I appreciate your honesty because you're like, yeah, I just want to have YouTube up when I'm doing some, <laughs> doing shit. So thank you for being honest. I appreciate it. Not trying to posture like you're doing some kind of like deep spreadsheet research or you're doing mm, anything you know that requires not. yeah but it's funny you say that because uh, my wife gina is now become a two monitor person um she wasn't originally but i think people in the show will remember that i mentioned she got a, a new job uh, which makes mm. me the stay-at-home dad and her her new job had two monitors because she actually is doing deep spreadsheet research and she's got all this like data and so she needs to have the ability to like look back and forth like you know really instantly or else her job becomes like this total quicksand slog death march <laughs> thing so she's got two monitors at work and now she's like oh you know two monitors is dope i want to have two monitors at home and i'm like whoa Nelly, what's <laughs> whoa <laughs> so we're probably gonna we're probably gonna get her a second one at some point because she really digs it and i mean to be fair like when i'm editing shit um you know because i spend like a couple hours every day doing um game critic shit and there's a lot of times when i'm just like bouncing back and forth between tabs and I'm like this is a fucking drag I wish I could have these things side by side so I I get it if you're I get it I mean I can see how it's useful and even if it's just for a movie or YouTube or whatever I can see how it's you know boy we're just like some first world motherfuckers aren't we you know mm, yeah I need I need I need a bigger thing so I can look at more things because I'm so important <laughs> yeah that's right. oh Jesus you know so I just while we're on the topic so number one I do understand the problem of getting a foundation that's the wrong shade I do not use foundation <laughs> but I'm around people who use foundation and I totally feel that pain and it is bad when you get a wrong shade of foundation <laughs> Throw that shit away because you look like trash. Get out You're of here. Silly. It is true. It is true. It's true. Um, but so I was watching your Twitter yesterday because all I do is watch your Twitter 24-7 when we're not podcasting. Oh 
I, I like, don't. I either post a lot or I don't post very much. So sometimes that's got to be boring for you. It gives me time to catch up on other things. It's fine. Um, so you were saying that there was some lady who like saw you, you had nail polish on and she was like all like weirded out by your, <laughs> your, you know, that you had like makeup on and, and nail polish. What was that interaction like? Does that happen to you very often? Like, do people look at you askance that you wear like nail polish? Um, not really. I mean, I've only had a couple of interactions and I mean, it ha- it's, they've been like super mild where people have just been like kind of thrown. But, um, the first one, I might've mentioned this before. The first one, um, was at, there's like a big gay thing in New Orleans called Southern Decadence. And I went to it and I was basically just like hanging out at this gay bar for like hours one night while I was there. And I met with some, some friends who I'd never met in real life before, um, who I actually knew over Twitter, who came to town. And so we were just kind of like hanging out and stuff and they left. And I was just like hanging out a little bit before I left. And um, there was like a gay dude there who like asked me about my nails and he was like, I think he asked me if I did drag or something. And I was like, no, I don't. And he was like, oh, well, the only guys that I know who paint their nails are guys who do drag. And I was like, well, I don't do drag, so you can't really say that anymore. Um, and it was just like a weird interaction. Because, like, you have this idea in your mind sometimes that maybe, like, gay men should be more open to, like, I don't know, like, alternative lifestyles because they themselves are a minority. But it doesn't always work that way in the community. Like, there's a lot of gay men out there who are very, like, homophobic and anti-gay and who... I mean, there's just, like, a whole... It's, like, a bag of worms that I don't even want to get into. So that was, like, my first one. And then my second one last night, like I said, I went to Patrick's Holiday Work Holiday Party, which was pretty good. Like, there apparently there's this, like, really classy bowling alley downtown called Fulton Alley, and I'd never been to it. And that's where... Um, his company hosted it and it was pretty cool because it was like this pretty neat like kind of like slightly dimly lit bar and it has like two bars and then there's like an outdoor bar area and then there's just like a bunch of bowling lanes and it's actually set up uh, really impressively because when Patrick was like yeah it's at this bowling alley I was like oh my god your company party's in a bowling alley and then when we got there I was like wow this is actually pretty legit um so we were there, and then we ended up going to a different place. We went to a Barcadia, which you might imagine is a one of those bar arcades in town. And it was the first time I had been there. And by the time we got to Barcadia, I was kind of like in a mood to be like ready to go, like because you know I don't mind going out, and I you know I like having a good time and everything. But th- sometimes there comes a point where like my like extrovert meter gets too full, and I'm just like okay, like you know I'm kind of ready to go, but whatever. And I kind of like got to that point last night when we were at Barcadia, and plus like some of pa- like I had met a few of Patrick's coworkers, and there was this one dude who was like being real weird like he was being really like handsy and I was like okay like I don't like literally just met you like stop rubbing my back with your hand it was just a yeah, weird scenario gross, gross. and um yeah it was just kind of gross and and so that was kind of like originally what put me off I was just like I'm ready to go and um but I was like standing there and I was texting one of my friends I had like a drink in one hand and you know my um phone in the other and I was like texting a friend from Baton Rouge and um, this like lady, I think she was like the wife of a guy who works with or works at Patrick's company. Um, and when I say Patrick's company, I want to make it clear that he does not own the company. He just works there. Um, she uh, she like pointed. She kind of like stuck her like f- uh, pointer finger and thumb out and she kind of like squeezed my thumb a little bit. It wasn't like, you know, like rip, ripping my thumb off, but she just kind of like put her fingers on my thumb and she said something like, hey, like, you have, like, nail polish on. And I think she was pretty drunk, so, like, let's be clear sure, about that. Sure, um, sure, 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 sure. And I was like, yeah, you know, I have nail polish. And she was like, oh, she was like, what is, 
what is that for? Or something like that. Like, what is that for? Or what is that about? Or what is, no, she said, what does that mean? She was like, oh, what does that mean? And I was like, it means that I have nail polish on. And she like gave me this kind of like bewildered look and then walked away. And I was like, bitch, don't like, don't walk up to some guy you don't even know in a bar. And like, and like, and it took like, and I had like a lot of makeup on. Like, I don't think it was like super like noticeable, you know, cause I wasn't wearing like eyeshadow and like all this stuff, but I the wanted to be look. like, the natural look. Yes. Yeah, totally. The, the, the no makeup makeup look. And totally. I wanted to be like, girl, I have a full face of makeup on too. Like what, like. Well, what do you think about that? Like, what does that mean? It just means that I want to look nice and I want to paint my nails. Like, I just like, ugh, like, ugh. I was just like, get out of here. Like, don't come up to me and don't. And she had like bad lipstick on. I was like, oh my God, like, don't even come over here and ask me about my nails whenever <laughs> you like have this like lipstick that's fading that you haven't touched up in like 10 hours. So I was like kind of annoyed at that, but <laughs> I mean, I guess it made for a good story. And the, like the th other thing that like, kind of pisses me off is like I had painted my nails to go to the thing. Like I like sat at the coffee table yesterday. I like took my p polish off cause I had been wearing this like burgundy polish for like a week and a half and it was kind of gross. So I had like, you know, very specifically taken the time yesterday cause painting your nails takes like an hour cause you have to like wait for it to dry. And then I put a top coat on all the stuff. So it like took a while and and then she's like, oh, like what does this mean? And I'm like, bitch, get out of here. Like I don't have time for this. <laughs> well, you know, how lame. You take the time to do yourself up and get all nice and you go out and then you get a reaction like that. How how awful. That well uh, I mean, on the plus side, I got like one or two compliments on my nails last night. So that was good, but I was just like, get out of here, lady, get out of here. Uh, well that's good. You know, it's actually becoming really common here in Seattle um, for guys. Of all stripes to have their nails painted. I mean, just kind of anecdotally as I'm walking around town or just doing something, just, you know, shopping or whatever. I notice like more and more dudes have some kind of nail polish on and like they're not they're definitely not all gay. I've seen a few um, guys locally kind of just say that like they're doing it in solidarity, um, you know, to be, uh, you know, kind of like a good dad to their daughters where they're like, oh, you've got nail polish. I got nail polish, too. We're samesies and that kind of cool <laughs> thing that you do with your kid or. Or, you know, just whatevs. So, and, and, you know, Winnie wears nail polish sometimes. And uh, I haven't, uh, he hasn't done it for a while. He used to do it all the time just because he just liked the way it looked. Uh, and he hasn't done it in a while. But, like, if he was going to do it again, maybe I would do it with him since I'm not interpreting anymore. So I don't need to keep my hands looking a certain way or anything. So, anyway. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even think about that. Interpreting with nail polish. It would be, like, the people in airports with, like, the flashlight beams. But instead, it's, it, like, yes. you could put, like, neon orange nail polish on and interpret. That is so okay. You, you're, like, one of the few people who's actually put that together. Because most people completely <laughs> flip out when I say that, like, having your hands look a certain way is a thing. Because, yeah, it's very distracting if you have the wrong shade of nail polish. Um, you know, you got to be really understated. And also... <laughs> <laughs> um, you can't have a bunch of jewelry and shit. And I mean, there's actually a whole like, like appearance code. Not that it's necessarily enforced by anybody, but it's kind of just like commonly understood that you look a certain way because it's just easier on the eyes or, you know, you got to look professional in some, in some ways, you know, tattoos. It was like, it was a big, a big to do when I got a tattoo on my wrist and people were like, <gasps> you got oh a tattoo God. on your wrist and you work with your hands. Oh my God. I mean, I think it's a very small tattoo. It's very understated. It's not a big deal. So anyway, anyway, yes. So, uh, I haven't done it yet, but that may, that may crop up in the future. We'll see. Um, as far as me, I haven't, I don't actually have a lot, but yesterday was a very rare date day uh, for me and the wife. She has been working crazy hours um, because she is, of course, on salary at her new job. And the first thing that you notice when you get put on salary is that your boss works you to the bone because they don't have to pay you any fucking overtime. 
So she's been making a lot of progress, a lot of changes. She's doing great at her new job. I'm really super proud of her. She's just really jumping in there and taking uh, the bull by the horns and just, you know, really cleaning that place up. It needed it. Needed a, needed a person like my wife. She is exactly the right person for that job. She's doing a great job. But she's working a jillion hours right now. It's not always <laughs> going to be that way. Uh, once she gets all the fires put out and fires all of the stupid people and just, you know, revamps the place, it'll be a finely, finely tuned machine and it'll be fine. But... She's been working a lot, and she's been gone a lot, and so yesterday, my son had an invite to go over to one of his friend's house just to chill for the day, and they like to play games and run around and, you know, shoot Nerf guns and et cetera, et cetera, so I'm like, yeah, that's cool, if you want to go over there, go over there, dropped him off, and then it was me and the wife had the whole day to ourselves, which is, like, pretty rare these days, um, and, you know, just to, just to make it clear, like, we don't, we're not the kind of parents who are always looking for an excuse to, like, drop our kid off or like that, like, <laughs> we spend, like, 99% of our time with our kid and we like it that way like we love our kid he's the best and spending time with him is really super fun um so it's not like we were like looking for a place to dump him or anything it just it just worked out that way <laughs> just to be clear so we didn't really like do anything but it was really kind of nice just to, to reconnect and spend the day together i mean we started off by getting this ridiculous amount of food at this diner that was nearby we we wanted to try a new place um that was near uh, part of town that we don't go to too often and so we went into this place and it actually turned out to be good like it wasn't too crowded um the food we got like a denver omelet and the omelet was like <laughs> i was like oh my god like it was it was silly how big it was it was really goofy uh and then i ordered i was like oh well you know you order something savory and then i'll get something sweet and then we'll just switch we do that all the time like we'll get like a halfsies and you know trade half and half back and forth or whatever so like I'm like, okay, I'll get some pancakes. And well, since there's two of us and we're hungry, I'll get the I'll get the full stack and that'll be fine. We'll have enough to share. Oh, dude. It was it was like three <laughs> fucking like car tires rolled up on our fucking plate. Oh it God. was I was like, holy shit, this is like all the dough in western Washington. I can't eat all this. It was <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, but it was good. We went there, went to the mall, walked around, just kind of window shop for a little bit. And um I don't know, we didn't really do like anything like really hardcore. Um she we came back home. And she played some game and I just sat next to her on the couch and I just watched her play some game because that's really fun. And I mean, it was nothing big, but it was like just taking the time to like, you know, spend some time together and, you know, reconnect and just acknowledge that we are each really important to each other. And we need, gotta, you know, you got to take time to keep the relationship going. Not like it's in trouble or anything, but, you know, you got to just, you know, you got to take the time. You get busy. I get busy doing homeschool shit, which is ridiculously busy. She's doing a nine to five job, which she hasn't done like I don't even remember. I mean, more than 20 years ago probably was her last nine to five job. So going to do something like this was a big change, but it's, it was good. So just a pretty, a pretty nice little, uh, nice little day of reconnecting. Do you and, uh, Patrick ever do that? Cause I know he, he works a fair amount of hours, doesn't he? Yeah. I mean, he works, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I mean, he works like a pretty, I think he's on salary too, if I'm not mistaken, but he works like a pretty steady schedule. He's never pulling like, 80 hour work weeks or anything unless like something like crazy is going down at the plant but he will be whenever um right after christmas they're doing what they call an outage which will be a lot more um work for him but it'll also i think pay a lot more so um so that'll be nice but uh i mean yeah we do i mean we tend to just like go out to like breweries and stuff like i know i talk about like drinking a lot on the show and i don't want to give off this like i don't know like impression that I'm some like raging alcoholic or something but like you know we both really like beer and so um sometimes on a weekend we'll just go to like a couple breweries and you know that like some of the breweries that we like in town have uh, like really good food in them too like there's a brewery across town called Nola Brewing that has um 
like the best barbecue counter in house. Like it is, it's just like it's like a bit. The brewery is great. It's like a big brewery. They have a lot of beer, but and they just have this like little barbecue counter in the corner. And like I swear to God, it's like one of my favorite places to eat in this city. And it's just like a barbecue counter in the corner of this brewery. Like it's not even like a standalone restaurant. It's like not even its own thing, but it's delicious. Um, but you know, we like to do that. You know, we'll go, we'll go grab beers or, um, sometimes we'll go out with a couple of friends. Like he has got a friend at the plant who, um, we hang out with probably every few weeks. Um, or, you know, we'll just go out to dinner. Like we, we, we really like going out to dinner, just like going out to get drinks or get dinner. Um, and, or, you know, I mean, sometimes we'll just sit at home too. I mean, we don't really play a lot of video games together, but, um, we're always kind of around each other. Like he just bought, um, Super Smash Brothers on Switch because it came out. So he's been playing that a lot. And I'll always be, like, around. Or if he's playing Overwatch, like, I'll watch him play Overwatch. Or we'll watch, like, Star Trek together. We've been watching um, The Next Generation again. Just, like, bits and pieces of it as we, like, eat dinner and stuff. So, um, Did you guys watch The Orville so, yeah, I mean, The Orville. Did you watch The Orville? No, we have not. Dude, watch The Orville. Watch, <laughs> if you're watching Next Generation again, and I no, no disrespect because I love The Next Generation and I plan to watch it with my kid. Dude, take take time, watch the Orville, get past the first two or three episodes, and it is the best Star Trek that has been made in like a decade, dude. You've got to watch the Orville. I will take that under consideration. I'm telling you, if you watch all that Star Trek <laughs> shit, you've got to watch this. You have to. Anyway, right, we'll, we'll a see. barbecue. I'll bring this. I'll bring the idea to Patrick. I, I'm gonna fucking tweet him right now, Patrick. <laughs> get your ass on the Orville, Patrick. <laughs> Tweeting him right now. That's what it sounds like when I tweet. It's just me talking out loud. Oh, my God. Uh, I would love a good barbecue canner. I, I love barbecue. That is really delicious. So maybe when we get down to uh, New Orleans, you can take us to that barbecue canner and we'll get some barbecue. That sounds delicious. I will definitely um, do that. You know, I forgot to mention one thing that I, I, I did buy near the Black Friday. It wasn't on Black Friday, and it actually had nothing to do with Black Friday. Uh, but it just so happened that I got something. Uh, was I got a new hard drive for my ps4 not to like nerd out for a second but i got an ex- oh yeah, yeah. I tweeting about this yeah i got a two terabyte external hard drive for the ps4 i know that people keep telling me it's really really easy to exchange the internal and, and i think patrick even talked to me about it i think he even sent me a link i'm pretty sure or something like that i'm pretty sure he did yeah because but- on our because we have a ps4 and a ps4 pro and on our ps4 our original one we got the white destiny one um yeah, he put a new one in that one, but did not put a new one in the Pro because I think the Pro was already like bigger than the yeah, original PS4. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's he's been there and done it. I have terrible luck when it comes to doing stuff like that. It's like I'm smart enough to do it, but somehow like my karma is bad or like the universe just loves to get me when I do technical <laughs> stuff like that. So if it's plug and play, I'm usually okay. But if it's anything more detailed than that, I just I get kind of scared because I got a real bad track history with that. So I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to open up my PS4. That would be ridiculous because then I would have to buy a new PS4. No, thank you. Uh, so I got an external two terabyte, uh, which was really cool because I was ending up having to delete something every time I wanted to install something. And as a game critic, I get, you know, I play a lot of games. I get a lot of codes. I'm constantly downloading stuff. And it was a big fucking complete pain in the ass to like keep downloading or, you know, deleting stuff all the time. And plus some of it was like I wanted to play. Like I don't want to like... You know, when I get in the mood for something, I don't want to, like, have to wait seven hours to download it again because I had to delete it because I had to play a review game. It's like, it, it sucks, you know? Sorry, getting back to... We're really, like, first world probably on this show. <laughs> I feel kind of bad about that. Sorry, guys. Um, so I got this two terabyte, and it was really easy. It was it was almost really easy. Like, I got it in the box. It's just this tiny little thing. It was actually way smaller than it looked on Amazon. It looked like... 
I don't know how big I thought it was going to be because honestly, technology is really small these days. But I got the picture. I'm like, oh, that looks like a good size hard drive. You know, looking at the physical size of it, like a dipshit, right? And <laughs> uh, I go, that looks like it'll hold a lot of game inside of it. Mm. Oh, and my God. <laughs> so I get it, and it's t- it's tiny, dude. It's like it's barely bigger than a credit card. And I'm like, oh shit, this thing is tiny. I had no idea it was going to be so small. So that kind of threw me at first, and it came with like a special plug that you plug in. And I plug it in, and like it's it's not recognizing. And I'm like, oh my god, of course it. And it was specifically for the PS4. Like it said, you know, game storage for PS4. Like that was in the title of it. So it was like intended to be a PS4 um, hard drive. I'm like, oh god, I hope I didn't buy like the P, you know, like something that didn't work or whatever, you know. But I had to go online, and there was there was like one extra step I had to do. Uh, I was like, if you, if you plugged it into the PS4 after it was on, it wouldn't work. But if you, if you plugged it in first and then turned it on, then it worked. And then I had to format it. But I mean, I mean, once I figured it out, it took like five seconds. So like, it wasn't like a big deal and it's been working perfectly ever since. So it's been really cool. I, and I, um, like that day that I bought it, I queued up like, I don't know, like 14, like really big games that I wanted to play at some point, And I just like had them all downloading overnight. And it, it works fine. Like, I, uh, I'm i really happy with it. I think I got it for 60 bucks, Something like that. And I would totally recommend anybody who wants to increase their storage on the PS4. Um, I mean, you know, do the internal if you've got the skill, if you're not worried about it, if the universe is not out to get you. Uh, but the external is super easy and super convenient, and I really think it works really, really well. So I was really happy with that. So that is, that is good. I definitely recommend that. Um, well, just congratulations one... on your the new addition to your family. Thank you. Yes, yes, it's it's beautiful. <laughs> we we hug every night. Uh, it's in all the new family photos. You're gonna get a Christmas card. It'll be me, Witty, Gina, and my my new uh, two terabyte drive. So oh, perfect. Yes, it's beautiful. Speaking of Christmas, um, the only other thing really worth mentioning. Well, okay, two more things. Uh, we're gonna go chop down a Christmas tree today because Christmas is coming up. A, do you celebrate Christmas? And B, do you chop trees? <laughs> Um, I, I do celebrate Christmas. Um, I actually am in the, I'm like really, really, really dragging my feet on like going home this year because I originally thought that I was only going to have like a few days off for Christmas and then like the, cause you know, I'm used to working in retail. So like when I used to work at Target, I li- literally the last Christmas season I worked at Target, I worked the night of Christmas. Like I celebrated Christmas and then I went in that night to do an, a series of overnights. So um, that was awful. Uh, but at the university I work at, we literally have like 11 days off. So I'm trying to figure out like, do I want to fly home? Do I want to drive home? Um, do I want to go home at all? Like how much your flight's going to be? So that's something I need to do today. But uh, whenever I grew up, we would do real Christmas trees. Um, we did not chop them down ourselves, but there was like a I can't remember what it was. Kind of like one of those like garden park areas. Sure, and, sure. We went and they had them like, I think they were like pre-chopped or like standing or something. And, you know, you could walk around this like big forest of trees and they basically just like picked it up and like put it in that netting wrapping and then like threw it in the back of your car. And um, the last time I had a real tree was at some point in Omaha when we lived there because Patrick had this wonderful idea that he wanted to get a real tree. So we went and got one. We shoved it in the back of my Honda Fit 
and <laughs> I was finding pine needles in my car. Oh, that, no. that wasn't the bad part. The bad part was taking it to, because there, there were designated places in Omaha where after Christmas you could take your trees and basically just drop them off in this like giant pile in different areas in town. And then I guess somebody would come by and like, I don't know, recycle them or do whatever they do to trees. And getting it home wasn't the bad part, but we basically didn't buy one of those like, there's like a bag you can buy that you put under the tree and you basically just yep. like wrap the yep, tree yep, up yep. in it. By the time, because we're both fucking lazy, as I've made clear on the show a million times before, um, we didn't buy one of those bags, or they were, like, out of stock by the time we were, like, ready to take the tree back. So we, like, wrapped the tree up as well as we could with, like, uh, trash bags or something, took it to the zoo, because that's where one of the drop-off points was in Omaha, and there, I was finding pine needles in the back of my car for, like, years. There's probably still, they're probably still there now, like, like, years after the fact, and so I think we ended up getting a fake tree after that, and... Last year, we didn't even put the tree up. This year, I don't think we're putting the tree up. We're just not, like, we're just lazy. Like, we're too, like, I can't be bothered to, like, make the space in the living room and put the tree up and buy ornaments and, like, go the whole nine yards. And I don't really think he can either, although he's the one that would do it before me. Um, But, yeah, long story short, I've had a mix of real and fake trees in my life, but I've never actually chopped one down. Oh, okay. So we're doing that today. We celebrate Christmas, and I actually share your laziness, um... I actually kind of um, grew up not liking Christmas for... Have I ever told that story before? Have I talked about this before? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Well, I, uh, well maybe we'll get into it later. It's kind of a long story. <laughs> uh, anyway, I grew up kind of like not really... I kind of like not hating Christmas, but being like really like, I don't give a fuck about Christmas and I don't want to celebrate it. But uh, Gina loves Christmas. So uh, I got to get back on the Christmas train because she loves it. So if she loves it, I have to love it with her. And, you know, Witty loves Christmas as well. So I don't want to be the Grinch. Uh, at holiday yeah. time, so we're getting into the we're getting into the spirit. We're going to go chop down a tree, and I live in Seattle, and you know, I mean, I think most people know, but you know, Seattle is a it's it's not a huge city, but I think it's like a medium sized city. I mean, I've been to other bigger cities, so it's not huge, but we are surrounded by trees and mountains and water and the ocean, and even though it's a city, we still have quite a bit of nature that's really really close, and so you know, if you just drive like. 10 minutes outside of Seattle, you're in like the forest or you're in like, you know, on a mountainside or something. So it's pretty easy for us to drive to any of the surrounding areas. And there's a lot of Christmas tree farms around here, like a bunch, like, like more than you would think possible. And it seems like every dude's got a couple of trees growing in his yard uh, (laughs) just for funsies. But we go to this place every year we're going to go. And there's like this, like acres and acres and acres of like different breeds of trees and you can go and, they let you borrow a saw and you're like walking up and down this hill and just looking for whatever tree you like. And then when you find one you like, you just, uh, you know, take your, your saw or your axe if you want to bring one and just uh, start chopping it down. And let me tell you, the quiet scream that a tree lets out when you take its life is absolutely oh delicious, sir. It is delicious. Uh, no. I recommend it to everyone. <laughs> I recommend it to everyone. <clears throat> Um, and then you drag it back and I don't, you know, so you might not have ever seen this. Maybe you have seen this. Maybe have you ever seen a tree vibrator before Corey? <laughs> and I'm not, a, not a vibrator <laughs> shaped like a tree, a, a vibrator that is meant to vibrate trees. Have you ever seen one before? Uh, I have not. I can only assume that we need to put an adult content warning up before we dive into this discussion. Maybe, maybe. So what happens? So, okay. So look, when you go out to, to the wilderness and there's trees, things live in trees. It's not like. It's not like trees are just, like, sanitary or they're just, you know, they're sealed off from nature. Like, they are in nature, and nature is in a tree. So when you bring this tree back to <laughs> the, the, the place where you pay for it, like the counter or whatever, 
There's a bunch of dudes there. They always have a tree vibrator. And I didn't really understand what this was the first time I saw it. Because I've chopped down trees before and they didn't have the vibrator. But now they've got them. And I'm glad they've got them. Because you chop the tree down, you bring it there. They, it's like, it's like a, a silver circular disc, maybe the size of a dinner plate. And it sits on a little machine that's on the ground. So it's pretty low on the ground. It's like maybe like a foot off the ground. You take your tree. You stand the tree up on this silver disc, and then that thing fucking shakes like a motherfucker. <laughs> it sends your tree into this, like, incredible, like, vibrational spasm. And, you guess, like, guess what happens, Corey? Uh, I'm going to guess that the tree orgasms, and then you both smoke <laughs> a cigarette, and then you take it home. <laughs> that sounds much better than what actually happens, <laughs> because what actually happens is... 10 billion um, spiders and bugs come shooting Ew. out of that tree when it vibrates because that's the point of it is to get all that shit off of it. So that the tree gross. starts shaking, yes. All the bugs, the spiders, the creepy crawlies, squirrels, small people, anything just like <laughs> come shooting out of that tree. And then you're like, ah, my God, I don't want to bring that in my tree. Fuck this, we're leaving, we're getting a fake tree. But no, you take it with you anyway. And uh, yeah, so we're going to do that today. It's going to be great fun. Looking forward to that. And, uh, yeah, we'll maybe do some decorating, you know, do the whole schmear. So, eh, anyway. Oh, oh, oh. anyway. Uh, and I do recommend it. I do recommend it. Uh, if you ever get the chance, chop a tree down once just to say you did it. It's real fun. Real fun. Uh, final thing. One really, really quick shout-out. I want to give a shout-out to um, Doctor Who. I know we talked about Doctor Who a while ago, but I'm up to, like, s episode 7 or 8 of the new series where this is the first time in history that Doctor Who has been a lady. And I got to say, it's great. They're doing a great job with the show. The writing is strong again. Uh, I really like the new Doctor. I think she's really fun and um, exciting, and she's got a good energy, and she brings a good good quality to the show. Her supporting cast, I think, is really neat. Um, they killed one of the people off really early, which I was kind of upset about. I thought that was kind of a bad move. But other than that, I really have liked the whole season. I think... Doctor Who being a woman is great. I'm really glad they did it. And it feels nice to like that show again. I was a really big fan when the show rebooted a while ago. Like, I was not really a fan of the old stuff. But when they rebooted it for the modern age, I got into it. And I really liked it a lot. Watched it religiously for, like, the first four seasons. I thought it was great. And then writing changed, actor changed. And I'm like, this show is terrible. And I just stopped watching it. It got really, really bad. And I watched it for a while because I really liked Doctor Who at that time, but I couldn't keep going because it was just a really bad show. But now I can honestly say that I really enjoy Doctor Who again. I think it's really good. I think it's really strong. Really glad they, they did the changes that they did, and I think it's in a great place. So hopefully they keep it going, and thumbs up to the new female Doctor Who. I dig it. It's really good stuff. Excellent. I've never watched Doctor Who, but I trust your judgment on the show. If you guys watch, <clears throat> I know you guys are in the Star Trek and stuff. If you, I know you got a lot of stuff to watch. You don't have a lot of time. I get it. But you should maybe give it a shot. Like, if you go back to the beginning of the reboot, you may like it. Maybe watch the first couple. Maybe get into it. Maybe watch the first four seasons. You never know. You never know. Anyway, I recommend I recommend parts of the new Doctor Who. Not all of it, but parts of it. If you ever want to get into it, let me know, and I'll, uh, I'll get you a recommendation list or something. So, I got nothing else, man. You got anything else you want to talk about, or should we talk about some games? Um, I think we can talk about some games. All right, dude, let's talk about some games.